This episode is supported by Dove. Narrow beauty standards have permeated our feeds, perpetuating beauty ideals that can't be achieved in real life, impacting girls' self-esteem. To help combat this, the Dove Self-Esteem Project is taking action to support the next generation so that they can have a positive experience on social media by providing free resources to parents, mentors, and educators. Dove is tackling the issue of digital distortion with Reverse Selfie, a film rooted in new research on body confidence from the Dove Self-Esteem Project. They're also providing a new confidence kit so that kids and parents can navigate social media with confidence and have a more positive experience online. Head on over to dove.com slash the selfie talk to download the new confidence kit and helpful tips to have the selfie talk today. But Alex. Yeah, Shane. Let's begin this episode. Let's do it. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex, and I'm here with my husband, Shane. The babies are in bed, the cat is in her room, and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on this Family Tree podcast, episode 102. 102, <laughs> not 102. We had to re-record, and I said 102 the first time. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but... Nothing wrong at all. Anyway, great episode tonight. So we have two awesome interviews. First, with Meredith Redman. She recently wrote a book called Dear Jesus Sent Coffee. And with her, we get into a really great kind of relaxed conversation, like I've known her for ages. And we explore the intersections of reality and expectation in motherhood, you know, right from the beginning, right from pregnancy up until you are parenting kids, teenagers, whatever. And, you know, I was talking to Michelle after and we were both saying we felt like we were kind of rambling a little bit. But then I said, no way, no way. It was amazing. It felt like we were just so open and happy to kind of explore any topic that came our way. And I'm really grateful for that conversation. It was a lot of fun to have. You rambling? Get out of Impossible. here. Impossible. <laughs> but next up, we have Tia Slightum for the second time awesome guest she's amazing so with tia and she's our expert guest for the evening we talk about transitioning your kid to school and daycare routines and then really everything that is kind of involved with school like dealing with bullies what to do if your kid's the bully cell phone rules lots of stuff so really useful conversation if you're finding yourself with school aged or daycare aged kids well this sounds like a good one Oh, it's a good one. And I can't actually wait to listen because I was in it on the interview. So I, <laughs> I'm not only on the podcast, I'm a fan and I listen. But Shane, cheers, babe. So we have a beautiful Seedlip non-alcoholic cocktail tonight. We're drinking Seedlip Garden 108 with, gotta say, Fever Tree Cucumber Tonic, all-time favorite. <sighs> was a I already delayed. took a sip, so that was a fake app, but... The sentiment behind it is real because this is really refreshing. It's delicious. I thank you. We love Seedlip non-alcoholic drinks. We're very lucky to have partnered with them because we reached out to them because we really wanted them to be part of the podcast. Great for moms who... Great for pregnant people. Pregnant moms and just dads who are maybe supporting their... Or just, you yeah. know, moms and dads or people who want to kick back without drinking alcohol. Even if you're like a non-alcoholic person, if you still drink alcohol sometimes, it's nice to be able to kick back and make a cocktail and get the vibe without actually drinking. This isn't an ad read. I don't know why we're going on, but uh, the point is we could have <laughs> just said it's good for everyone. We're feeling it. <laughs> Speaking of feeling it, yes. what do you think of this new thing I did? You haven't really reacted to it yet. 
I'm not sure you... if you want to tell the audience. What okay. We're doing. So instead of sitting beside me on a couch that we usually sit on when we're here, Shane is sitting across from me with a coffee table in between. That's what you mean, right? Yeah, but I'm about half a football field away from <laughs> you. In my mind, I was going to be a lot closer to you, just facing you. But with the coffee table and the way this chair is to sit comfortably, I'm quite far away from you. Well, you know, I like the idea. Because I love when we record at the cottage because we do it in the little pop-up trailer and we're a foot away from each other in the little pop-up trailer dining room area. And it's so great. It's so intimate. We're looking at each other. But I think I might like this better than the couch. I can't like than when you sit beside me on the couch. I can't tell because I really have to crane my neck to look at you. And this is kind of fun. Like, I think I'm enjoying this. <laughs> we have to work it out, though, to get you closer because yeah. it, it feels weird. Next week, I'm going to move the coffee table. I'm going to scooch it. And then yeah. I'm going to scooch this chair up as close as possible. Yeah, you got to do lots of scooching. But for now, this will do. But topics, you know, yeah. I've been S in the bed a little bit the last few weeks. It's been summer. I've had a bit of brain fog. There's been a lot going on. But now we are back into... A routine, like we said last podcast, September is a whole new year where I'm from. It's always been a new year. January to me is mid-year, like Doesn't you were count. saying. Yep. You're obviously in the teaching field, so even more so that that September thing really is the beginning of a new dawn. Teaching, you're back to work. Yeah. So in a way, we've switched in a lot of ways, I think, here. And let me just explain. Mm -hmm. I'm in the easiest phase right now of my life ostensibly and you are back to the hardest part so what i'm saying is you know being a, a stay-at-home parent is tough but being a stay-at-home parent and working from home it's impossible. and doing those same things at the same time all the time with a relentless pace for almost two years since the pandemic started i guess it more accurately it was what 18 19 months <laughs> basically two years regardless it's it's been a, a long drudgery for me yes and it was really kicking in the last two months of summer for me where i just i couldn't wait for september to happen mm -hmm. that i was I, I don't know i was a bit of a downer obviously the last little bit just because i, w I had no energy and you know you'd be like it's hot in hamilton let's go to the cottage but for me at the cottage, it's just hotter for me because I'm just stuck in an office where you guys are. <laughs> I look out the window, everyone's throwing the Frisbee, splashing lake, lake water at each other. <laughs> for me, I'm just in a, an office with no air conditioning. So I wasn't, you know, my best self. I'll, I'll say that. But now I am. Yeah. My life's totally different now. The kids are in daycare. We got Nona here looking after Betty. Well, a kid is in daycare. And I Lucy. will say. And not only is Nona here looking after Betty, and two people asked this question actually for my mailbag segment at the end. Two people wanted to know if Betty was in daycare. No, she's at home every day with Shane's stepmom. Betty is our 14-month-old, Yes, for people wondering. And uh, I got to say, Nona also, she often keeps the kitchen clean, which is so nice. Like our she kitchen. She cooks. She cleans. She cooks. She makes his dinner a lot of the time too. And the house is just silent. Like you're <laughs> gone and I can focus like I'm laser focused now on my work. Things are getting done at a way faster rate. Yeah, There's never something to like referee having to leave every 10 minutes. I don't have to put Lou to bed, which eats up an hour. I like, you know, her nap, her quiet mm -hmm. time. I don't have to feed her. My life is so much easier and so much more manageable. On the flip side, I wanted to ask for you, 
now that you, the second you're done work, you come home mm-hmm. and now you're on parenting duty. How does that feel for you for you to have that transition? Well, the hardest thing for me is the wake up because now I'm waking up at 6 a.m. Whereas before, like you know, on weekends, I'll wake up at 6 a.m. when the kids wake up. But then at 7, you and I do a swap and then you come with the kids and then I sleep from 7 to 8.45 or 9.00. And it's amazing because I'm still getting up with Betty. She's still nursing. And Lucy has nightmares, you know, four nights out of the week. So that's me running in there and then consoling her (laughs) and telling her a story in the middle of the night. And that it just eats up time and takes away, obviously, from restful sleep. So that has been a bit of a tough transition for me because then, you know, the second 3 a.m. Sorry, 3 p.m. hits. I'm like hitting a wall. I'm hitting a wall so hard and it's really tough. Uh, And I mean, it's more relaxing in a sense at work. It's like your vacation. Than than it is at home. But that's because you think about it. At home, I was trying to parent and being the best parent that I could be all summer and be fun and play. But then I was also trying to run a social media account and try to email guests and do do ads. Oh, I know. I know. But I have a lunch hour at work. And, you know, my old self would be like, you need that 45 minutes of lunch hour to relax and decompress because you're I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off all day at work and I'm busy. Like it's not it's not for the faint of heart, especially. Yeah, you have kids to yell at. No, I don't yell. (laughs) But in this like, honestly, walking into teaching this year, it was like because I didn't teach last year, I was on mat leave, but it was like walking into a whole new world, a whole new profession. It's so different. There's all these things that I don't know because I didn't learn being on mat leave last Is year. Is bed mass still the same? Be- <laughs> I don't even know. I'd, that's math and not my thing. But like there's half virtual school and half real kids. So, like I have to sign on now and I don't even know how to do this. People had to show me and people are going to have to show me again on Monday because I still don't know how. But I have to like sign in online, wear a headset, talk in a microphone to the kids that are online learning. If and only then, you had these skills. No, but then and then teach the live students as well and field questions from the online kids and the live kids all at one time. Wait, wait, wait. So you're talking to kids on like a Zoom. Yes. And kids there live are watching you do this and you have to interact with both of them? I'm interacting with everybody all really? at once. It's oh, so that doesn't seem fair for anybody. Yeah. And me <laughs> either or any teacher, every teacher's in the same position. But it's it's difficult. And uh, you know, like now too, instead of I do high school, so typically we're with the kids for seventy five minute periods, but now it's for three and a half hour periods. That's how long a period is. So you're with the same class for three and a half hours. So like, you know, I went to a position this week. There Your were no periods p- tends to last longer than that. Exclamation points. Yes. Ongoing joke if this yeah. is your first podcast. Yeah. Sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's not. This was one where it wasn't, but But uh like this week, you know, the teacher I was in for had retired, so there were no lesson plans and I was there for a week. And so it was me trying to plan lessons, deliver lessons, do assessments all at the same time. It was really tough. And then I'd come home from that. Well, I'd go to my lunch hour from that, social media, try to get guests, and then come home from that and parent in social media and do that. And I'm tired, babe. I'm. <laughs> could you tell? Yeah. And I, I appreciate your life story there, but I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to get to the heart of it is, I guess the question I'm trying to get to is, 
who's better at their wits end? Or is our life better when I'm at my wits end or when you're at your wits end? Me. I think that's right. I think. Life is better when I'm at my wits end because I think things are still at a a more positive level than when you're at your wits end. But I'm more like a, I don't know, like a bottle rocket, my type of thing. It's like, pew, and it's it's real quick and it's yeah. over. Whereas you can have more of a blanketed, more subtle mm-hmm. form of, I don't know, displaying your unhappiness. It's just, the thing is me displaying my unhappiness. It's just me being... Typically, I mean, some days and sometimes I, I can be a very passive aggressive, but most times it's just me being quieter. Mm-hmm. And that's like what I'm quieter than making jokes and yeah. being Kramer in the house. You know what I mean? Well, so like I it's made not... you asparagus for dinner tonight and you grabbed the plate and threw it against the wall <laughs> in a moment of anger. That's a lie. What movie is that from? I don't know. American Beauty. <laughs> I don't know if this is the time to be making Kevin Spacey references, but I know, but you know, you know, it's it's just it's been a hard week, and it's been kind of a depressing week. And Shane, I'm can we take it here for a second? I, I yes, I don't know what that means, so I'll, I'll say yes. We can take it. Yeah, no. For the past 24 hours, I've been in a total, totally thrown off. Uh, what? Did, wait, sorry. What does that mean? Can we take it? Can we take it here to this? To what I've been like really. Oh, I do, we don't have that shorthand, but I'll, I'll bank that now. <laughs> now I know what that means. Okay, let's take it. No, so uh, somebody in my school board um, is being investigated currently for sexual misconduct against minors. And that totally threw We're me really for a loop. We're really taking it here. Okay. Yeah, wow. yeah. So it really threw me for a loop. I know this person. And uh, there are a lot of allegations and it, it's just been very heavy. The last 24 hours have been very, very heavy. I've been doing a ton of thinking. And I, I was saying to Shane today, like with two daughters who we hope to get into lots of extracurriculars and sports, you know, everything at that, I'm at that point where I just don't want any men to be, a, you know, a leader other than maybe other than a teacher but as a leader, like being one-on-one and getting physical with my daughters during practices and things like that, because, you know, you are playing sports and you're getting kind of close. So I think I'm at that point and I, it's, I'm like perturbed by it all and just really disappointed in it all. Another weight on your mind and my mind too. Ugh. Oh my goodness. This I'm is so, I'm just so like upset by this and I'm so upset that it's just like an ongoing issue. And I think I'm getting more upset by it just because I'm so tired. But it is so, it's so infuriating. Yeah. <sighs> Sorry, Shane, take us out of here. Take well, us out of here. <laughs> <laughs> only because you asked. Like, I don't want to force this out of here because it is an important thing. And it uh, it deserves being thought about because it's something we all need to think about when we have coaches and, you know, whether it's a male athletes or female athletes yeah. it's, there's always risks associated we always have to keep the closest eye and protect our children but i, I wanted to talk about next week being better and yeah. i know this is a common cliche thing where you always think and you always say next week is going to be better yeah i do it all the time i say next week's our week this isn't it and i say this every week but i actually think Next week's our week. <laughs> what do you, how do you feel about that? I'm into it, babe. You know me. I'm always looking on the bright side. I think next week's our week. Well, here's why. It's not a shortened week. Right. 
it's not our first week getting acclimated to something. Like last Mm -hmm. week was a shortened week. Plus you were thrown into teaching unexpectedly because sometimes teachers don't call in sick because you're a supply teacher. Yes. So teachers don't always call in sick on the first week because maybe it's a bad look or whatever Mm -hmm. reason. So it's the second week typically is when you would get called in. So you were thrown off a little bit. Yeah. Now you've already been through that initial fire it's a second week we're in a routine and i feel like i'm really going to enjoy it yeah you know what i am looking forward to and i'm actually i'm taking off this coming thursday and i'm gonna go in toronto and go to the jenny bird store and like have fun with them like i've been in you know email friends with the girls on that staff for like the past six months or whatever so that's like a little girl getaway (laughs) for me and yeah, and I feel like we're comfortable. We've not mastered the social media side, but we've become used to this sort of grind, which yeah. is relentless. And the, you were, you've been teaching for years, so you're used to that in mm-hmm. a way. So you've picked up all these skills. I feel like we can handle it. I feel like we can thrive. And I feel like we're going to be happier next week. <laughs> <laughs> we have to be. We have to be. This week was tough. It was, you know, it, it was really tough. It dragged on. Lou it, started daycare or preschool. Uh, what do we call it? Preschool. And preschool. That, that was super emotional for me, too. You know, I'm calling the preschool teachers every three hours to make sure she's OK and she's making friends. And like that was tough. But, you know, I totally agree, Shane. I think we're going to be great. And even just in like treating ourselves good, I think we're going to be able to this coming week get in really good habits again of just eating better not eating so much junk because i couldn't even work out the whole last month yeah and it affected my energy (laughs) so much i know because i do get a little down in the dumps if i haven't worked out at a month of not working out i'm a nightmare yeah me too well here's one thing that i was uh deciding in my head i was like okay do i want to use my lunch hour at work to do social media stuff or do I want to use my lunch hour at work to bring a pair of sneakers, a pair of shorts and go for – I'm not allowed to run but like do I go for a power walk or do some kind of Is there someone monitoring workout? you if you pass the threshold of power walk to running where they're like, <laughs> no, no, no. My pelvic floor specialist <laughs> comes out of No, but you said you're not allowed to run. Who, who determines My, my pelvic floor specialist. Oh, I thought you meant at school you're not no. allowed to run. No. <laughs> I was like, this is strict. But I'm I like, lucky I went to public school. Yeah, no, I like the idea of getting stalked by my PT though. I wanted to talk about Lucy potentially being a bully or an extroverted kid or an introverted kid because I had this fear just from monitoring Lucy a couple times in the playground mm-hmm. where she can be very bossy and demanding and yeah. almost like a bully, but not quite. But then the first day of preschool, she said to me, today, I'm not going to play. I'm just going to sit on the ground <laughs> and by myself and not talk to anyone. She said this as we're walking out the door to preschool and Shane's like, okay, Lucy, you're going to make new friends today. She goes, no, I'm not. I'm going to sit and be quiet by myself. And she's all proud of this because sometimes (laughs) she likes to be challenging. But I'm thinking she's been so pumped about this all summer. She's been talking about it every day. She's going to end up being that loud, demanding child. But apparently she stuck true to her word. She did. 
So she's her father's daughter, I guess, because that's exactly what I would do at preschool. Well, it was bizarre to me because she is so social when she gets with kids that she knows. But then I go to pick her up at the end of the day and the teacher goes, so Lucy was really happy today, but she just played by herself. And I was like a woman of her word. I mean, I appreciate that, but I do wish she put herself out there a little more. And then her second day at preschool, she she attached herself apparently, and I'm just getting this from teachers, to one kid. She just attached herself to that one kid. And wherever that kid went, Lucy went. Even if that kid didn't want to play with her at that moment, Lucy was there just hanging around waiting for her to want to play. But there was no bullying, they said. Lucy was not a bully, but she told me that a kid wasn't being nice to her. And I'm not going to say the kid's name. She might have been picking up some bad habits from whatever this kid's name is. Because when she came home on the second day, she goes, hey, daddy, I'm going to punch you right in the belly. And then she wound up and socked it to (laughs) me. She did. She did like the old cartoons, like Bugs Bunny type wind up. Yeah, like the 1930s. We've never taught her that. I think she learned it from bleep. Yeah, And just saying belly was kind of hurtful to me. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) not hurtful, but you know what I mean? Well, it's either that or she's watching Pulp Fiction on the slide because that's a line in Pulp Fiction. What? Oh, pot? Well, it's when the um, Bruce Willis's girlfriend is like, if I had a little pot, would you kiss it? And then but she didn't say I'm going to punch you in your pot. Well, Bruce Willis. Well, she goes, what would you do if I had a belly? And Bruce Willis is like, I would punch you in your belly. But he's like joking and kissing her. And she's like, you would punch me in the belly? And he's like, no. She has not been watching Pulp <laughs> Fiction. This is ridiculous. Well, the line is straight out. Okay. It, it checks out. Maybe. We did do a TikTok about that. I know we which did. did Shame. not do well. <laughs> but hey, we're trying. Oh, I wanted to talk about the most infuriating thing ever. What? Unleashed dogs. Oh. I didn't gosh. know this bothered me. I've been around unleashed dogs so much in my life and- Often an unleashed dog will come up to me and the owner will go, sorry, he's really friendly. And I'll go, that's fine. I love dogs. And I pet. That's 99% of the time. That's what I do. However, recently we had a photo shoot with Scarlett O'Neill, talented photographer, and we had a whole day with her. But she told us a story about how a really, air quote, friendly dog Mm -hmm. bit her on the butt at a wedding shoot. It like broke the skin, broke her like a $150 romper. So I started thinking, yeah. These unleashed dog people, it's always a friendly dog. It's always a friendly dog. That is unleashed. But you never know what a dog's thinking. It could have a bad day. It could see an animal. It could snap. It could hear a noise. Anything could happen. It could bite your child. Yeah. Like if I get bit in the butt, that sucks. But if Lou gets bit in the face, my world is shattered. Mm -hmm. So today we're at the a park. Right, yeah, we're at um, an aviary in Hamilton where they have like these birds and one talks and Lucy really loves it. Yeah, Rosie the bird talks and Mm -hmm. we were actually going on a hike, but we did a little side thing to the aviary first to see the birds. And there's this, it wasn't a mangy dog, but it it looked a little scraggly. There was nobody in sight and this dog just comes sprinting towards us, but there's no human attached to it in sight. It was, it was odd. And this, this isn't us self-imposing this like, oh, put your dog on a leash. Not only is there signs everywhere that says you must leash your dog. And it has all these reasons mm-hmm. because the dogs scare the birds, the dogs scare the animals. In the bird section, it says no dogs are even allowed, leashed mm-hmm. or not. So I'm feeling a little empowered to say something. 
This, but we don't see the owner anywhere. This dog's just running around, and I'm fresh off the Scarlet story. So, <laughs> but I go, oh, what are you gonna do? And then you see the owner, and you're like, you signal, this, yeah, this yours. And the owner just goes, yeah, and then starts She's walking toward me. Yeah. She's texting, not looking. She just goes, yeah. Starts walking towards us. So we're like, okay, whatever. She's going to take care of the dog. So me, Shane, and Lucy go over to see this Rosie the bird. And it's like in a little kind of enclosed area. And then all of a sudden, the dog runs in our little area. So we kind of grab Lou close to us. And then this woman like kind of pushes by us to get in front, front row seat to the bird. Yeah, so, so I thought the bird's name was Rosie because it has the sign. No, she was talking to a different bird. Oh, okay. She, <laughs> so she knows the area. She's like, hi, Harry. Hi, Harry. Harvey. Harvey. Sorry. <laughs> and then I'm feeling awkward because I'm mad, but I also want to be polite in case this is a really nice woman. I'm kind of going to let it slide. The dog didn't seem vicious and they never do. But I'm like, we're just going to get out of here. So... I'm trying to keep Lucy away from the dog just because I don't even want to interact with this yeah. woman. And my way of being rude in the most polite way possible is just I'm not going to talk to the woman. Yeah. I'm just going to not look at her. But Lou stepped on a little blade of grass. And the woman goes, oh, you're going to want to stay away from that grass. Condescending as heck. Okay. But, but at first I thought, oh, maybe the grass is dangerous or prickly in some way. And then I'm like, no, she's like a horticulturalist protecting this blade of grass because she's like looking after the flowers and every every little blade of grass because she comes here so often and she thinks she owns the place. And I'm just fuming. And then she goes on and she goes, yeah, you don't want to step on that grass. And she's this type of woman. And I used to call people like this something different, but I'll say it's that unpleasant type of person with a smile where they're so condescending with the guise of I'm being nice, but I know I'm being rude and there's nothing you can do about it. We were in a rich neighborhood too. She was in her mid to late 50s. She was like like one of those like hippie types, like an artsy, you know, middle-aged woman. So we walk away and I can't let it go. I'm just fuming. It's instantly I'm thinking, I'm like George (laughs) Costanza, thinking of all the things I could have said. Jerk store. Yeah, the jerk store. Everything's (laughs) running through my head. And... We're, I'm, you're like, let's just go go take our hike. Yes. Let's just go take our hike. And I go, I can't. I have to go back. I take a picture <laughs> of, uh, I go back to take, I don't know what I'm doing with this. I was going to ask what the goal was in taking the photo. I was hoping she would see me. You're right. So I go and I take a picture of the sign that says no dogs in the bird area. Mm-hmm. And then a woman, her friend, another woman w- walks up to her and spots me taking the picture. And is like, oh, that that guy is uh, taking a picture of the Rats sign. And, and I think he's going to come talk to you or something. She's mumbling about me loud enough so I can hear. And I go, hey, can you leash your dog, please? <laughs> I didn't say it that annoying. I actually <laughs> sound like the villain in this story You now. sounded like a total meanie right <laughs> yeah, there. Meanie you weren't the, that yeah. mean. I just go, hey, could you leash your dog, please? And she goes, oh, yeah, like that. In that way where she was still going to do it, but you're, she was at, was acting like I'm being outrageous. Shane, I doubt she did it. I, I doubt she did it too. And I had just wished, I had said it earlier when she said the whole blade of grass thing. I know. And I was like, oh, who are you? Do you own the place? Could you leash your dog? And I wish I turned it right on her. And it reminded me of this scenario that I had about two years ago. I'm on the bus going to Toronto. There's a woman beside me. She's clipping her nails. 
that her, is just her, her fingernails just clipping like buffing them but also doing the loud clip noise okay wait wait hold them. on did was she collecting the nails that were being clipped like what no, was happening to they those were flying everywhere what i'm telling you it, <laughs> it was odd i'd never seen this before and it wasn't just like 10 clips I, I guess it's like three clip per nail so this is about 30 clicks so after wait wait another question sorry just for yeah. clarity she's not just like fixing one nail that maybe broke she's like clipping for hygiene and whatever sake all of her nails doing the whole routine wow so i'm thinking i should say something but i don't have the guts to do so i'm not a confrontational person as much as i like to after the fact in the moment <laughs> i tend not to pull the trigger and do it mm -hmm. especially on a bus you're trapped with the person you're making a scene this is a commute it's not just like an hsr bus in hamilton where i'm going to be away from the person in five minutes i'm going to be with this person for at least 45 to an hour and a half so i think just turn up your music so i turn up my music in my earphones and I'm, I'm thinking, drown it out. It'll be over soon. And just look forward. She taps me on the shoulder and goes, excuse me, can you turn your music down? And I just go, yeah. And that's it. What? And I didn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking about comebacks, things I should have done for since today. So for today, two years. Yes. Here's the weird part. This woman, turns out she works at my work. So I've been in the elevator with this woman afterwards thinking if I should bring it up or not. Have you ever seen her on the bus again? And were her bus habits yeah. similar to that? Was she ever doing anything else gross on the bus? She dresses very odd. It's annoying the way she dresses. Everything she does has an annoying thing to it. She wears scarves in the summer and everything's. So she, she's just being Lenny Kravitz. Lenny's more lovable. <laughs> <laughs> At least Lenny gave me that hit song. Well, there you go. I, I guess that was a cover. He just, he just made a hit song really cool. But point is, I hate this. I have to, I hate the term man up, but I have to do something in the moment from now on or else people are just going to walk all over me but, and but our family. In our whole family. I think you need to do it kind of in the moment. So I think what you need to do, because, you know, maybe you don't want to act on that first impulse anyway. So maybe... Take 10 deep breaths and then... 10 deep breaths? Ten, chicken, chicken 10 deep breaths? 10 deep breaths. Ah. And then respond. Because then that 10 seconds of, you know, meditation-like pausing, think about a really good response and then say it in a calm, polite way. And then everything works out for the better. Because then you don't lose your cool. You don't get too angry. And you don't, then you don't say something stupid that, you know, you wish you had come up with a better remark. Yeah. When I was on the hike, I came up with this I'm, I'm kind of kind response. It was, I don't mean to be a jerk. And I love dogs more than anyone. And this is obviously a very cute dog. But could you please put him on a leash? Mm -hmm. What do you think of that? Or is I that, think is that, that, too no, kind? That, that, would, that would be a good way to do it. Is it, you know, I'm worried about dogs with my kids and leave it there. I, I had an ex-boyfriend who had a big scar around his eye like this. And that is because when he was three years old, same age as Lucy is now, he was bit on the face by a, air quote, friendly dog who had never bit anybody before, went and bit this toddler yeah. and scarred him. Have you ever seen these friendly chimps? That go around ripping people's faces, faces off? Yes. Yeah. Can't trust animals, man. Well, especially chimps. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
that's all I have for that's good. right now. Thank you. That's good that it's over or that was good what no, I had? No, no, no. I, I, liked, uh, I liked the talk. Thank you. This is a new era. The podcast is getting better. And that's all I'll say about it. But bef- who's our first guest? Meredith Redman. Before we get to Meredith Redman, let's tell everyone who we are supported by. We are supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. <sighs> Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. Because as a non-drinker, it just never feels good when your only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. So now you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. But we aren't non-drinkers. We are drinkers. Yeah. And we still drink non-alcoholic beverages. We love our non-alcoholic cocktail nights. Like they're they're so nice. They're so relaxing. And there's a little something for everybody because whether you prefer like punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices or savory herbs, Seedlip has a drink for you. We have three variants, which are Spice 94, Garden 108 and Grow 42. They're all alcohol free and pair so perfectly with just a splash of tonic. Plus, they could be used to make more complex cocktails like Shane and I often make. And you'll find those in the Seedlip cocktail book or on their Instagram account at seedlip underscore NA. So head on over to seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 for 10% off your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. This is available in Canada and in the U.S. And again, that is seedlipdrinks.com and thisfamilytree10. And now let's get to our interview with Meredith. Meredith. Welcome to this Family Tree podcast. Thank you so much for being here. And I'm really looking forward to talking to you. So can you please give me and the listeners a little bit of background about who you are? Yes. So I'm Meredith Redman. I was a pediatric ICU nurse for about seven years before I'm now a stay-at-home mom of two kids. They are five and three, and I'm married to an ER doctor, and we live in Oklahoma City, so middle of the country. (laughs) It's been quite a busy year, as you can imagine, being married to an ER doctor. And um, I've always written as kind of a as journaled, like back from being a child. And um, I started a blog as just a little passion project when my son was born, my five-year-old. And never to do anything with really just to have an outlet. And then I've always had this nagging feeling that I really wanted to write a book. And I was like, oh, come on. It's just a long blog post, right? It's, in fact, <laughs> I this year, it's a little more work than that, um, but a great project. And so I hooked up with this publishing course. Or it's a, It was a writing course that ended up leading me to a publisher. And I wrote my first book this year. And that's what I'm here to talk about. That's amazing. First of all, congratulations. I So I love writing as well. I teach English. It's, you know, that's something that I've always gravitated toward. However, I've never written a book. Tried to start uh, in the new year in like March and have put it on the back burner because it was impossible. So I know how freaking hard it is to try to sit there and write a book during a pandemic with kids at home. It's tough. All the power to you. Before we get into things, when did you write? Like, were you writing at midnight during the day? Like, what was that looking like? Well, so I did write after bedtime a lot or during rest time, which for one of my kids was napping. Another was a lot of tablet time, which we reserved for vacations and then became a daily occurrence. It happens. It happens. And a lot of actually what I did is I got this tip from another mom writer is I put my phone on record when we're having the most chaotic moments and I would just let it play and talk to myself about like, oh my goodness, this is going crazy. Like, I don't know how I'm going to handle this moment. And then I would later 
weave those moments into chapters. That is so, so smart. I think that's a great – because you know what I find too? After a moment is over, whether it was really bad or really good, it changes in our memory and then we have – you know, we have a bit of revisionist history going on when we look back at things. And I think that that is such a good way of keeping yourself honest in how you react to things in your thoughts. I think that's so genius. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm a much better mother in my rosy retrospection of the world <laughs> than I am in the actual moment. So same, same. And for sure, don't think that when I say I wrote a parenting book, it's like this tell all of how I'm such a great mother. It's more like how I'm in the trenches drowning like everyone else. <laughs> so. Well, the title alone I can relate to. So it's Dear Jesus Send Coffee. I'm on my third today. I'm going to need another one. Now, I, w- I want to ask you, what is it that you find so inspiring about motherhood? Well, it's what I love about it is that it's all ever changing. Mm-hmm. So, and yet still it's groundhog day. <laughs> it's this juxtaposition of every day is a little bit the same, but our kids are so creative and inventive that they surprise us all the time. So just when you think that you've got your little ones figured out and you've mastered what they're going to do, they change the game and the rules on you. Those buggers. They, I know <laughs> like <laughs> what just being surprised by it constantly, which is for me, a huge adjustment. I talk about this a lot in my book that I am a reforming perfectionist on how I expected things to go. And yeah, it is not like that. It is hard to handle these changes. Yes. And it's hard. See, I'm not a perfectionist, uh, quite far from it. I could use a little bit of that in my personality. That is something that I've never done. I'm very go with the flow to an annoying degree. If you're my husband or <laughs> something, my who is also my business partner, so that makes it tough. But I need a little perfectionism. However, I find I, I have friends that are perfectionists and mothers, and it's tough to have those two aspects of your personality meet because to be a mother and to be a perfectionist can drive you quite insane, like actually affect your mental health. Yes, for sure. I think I thought that my my previous career as a pediatric ICU nurse, I was like, surely I'm super qualified to be a mom. Like I took care of critically ill children. But what I didn't realize is that literally in doing that, I had a checklist of things to do every hour with my patients. And that was, there was a right way to do things. In motherhood, there's no right way to do anything. <laughs> and that has been a challenge for me to learn too, is that something you try might not work. You have to try something else the next day. Your kid who loves strawberries, so you buy out the grocery store on strawberries, decides that they now hate strawberries and you're the worst mother for buying them. So these things have been, like I said, ever changing, but also the super sweetest moments. Absolutely. And, you know, when you and I were conversing about doing this interview, you were telling me that your book, it, it explores the intersections of reality versus the expectations that we have of motherhood and how those two things, I mean, maybe sometimes they meet, they often, I'd say way more often than not, they are not the same. What was the one thing that hit you the hardest where your expectation did not match reality? So I think the thing that hit me the hardest was I thought that if you tried really hard, things would go really perfectly. So in most of my life, which is a gift and maybe a little bit of a curse in terms of motherhood. If you just put in extra work at something, it would just go better. If you tried hard in school, you would get a better grade. Motherhood isn't exactly like that. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so wanting to be a really good mother doesn't mean that you're not going to have a child who throws a tantrum or has a difficult time sleeping. I have 
really great eaters who love sushi, but my kids don't really like to sleep. So (laughs) I thought that because I wanted to be a mother so badly, I struggled to stay pregnant for in the beginning to conceive children that wanting it so badly meant I would just be inherently good at it. And that has probably been my biggest challenge. And I think also understanding that I'm not the only one who feels insecure Mm -hmm. in motherhood, that so many of us feel insecure and that in fact, a lot of our insecurities are well unique to us in how we experience them very common across the board. Mm -hmm. A lot of us are insecure about like I just mentioned, whether or not our kids sleep, how often did you get asked that? Like, how's the baby sleeping? Right. That's every day. Right. Yeah. And you know what? It's like, I I find, because I think I was doing that before I was a parent. I was like, oh, does your kid sleep? And you just, you don't know what to say. And it's never coming from a place of judgment or anything. But then as a mom, when you get asked those things, and if your kid isn't sleeping and that's something that's weighing down on you, it's hard and it's hard to hear over and over and over again, but people don't know. And then I found that reconciling the fact that people were, you know, saying in a harmless way and not knowing. And then my experience and because I did not sleep for a year with my first, it was horrendous, horrendous. It really like pulverized me. And I found reconciling how I felt with the questions everybody was asking and like the harmlessness. It, it was really hard for me to put together kind of. Mm-hmm. For sure. And then that feeds into, I don't know if this was ever a struggle for you, but I struggled with a lot of postpartum anxiety, especially after really, really wanting a baby. And then I was like, okay, I really wanted this. Now, why is this so hard? And that was a big problem for me as well is why am I not grateful for each of these moments? Also that line of, oh, you better enjoy this moment when you're sitting there sleep deprived, covered in baby puke going, Enjoy this moment, really? Mm. This one right here. So I, you know, I, I think your take actually here can be really insightful. So you were you miscarrying before? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you know, going through experience miscarriage, um, we have spoken to many women who have experienced infertility and then, you know, have gone on to have kids or not you know, whatever, depending on their situation. But I, I recently got in a, an internet discussion, and we all know how those go, with somebody the other day. Uh, and they were like, oh, you're complaining about your kid right now. And a memorable time was about this time last summer as well. I was like, oh, you know, can't go swimming. I'm still too new postpartum. Can't go in the water. And by the way, this is why you can't go swimming. Yes, I'm feeling sorry for myself, but my baby's cute, whatever. Anyway, somebody messaged me big long message. And they're like, Hey, Alex, I used to respect you. (laughs) They go, but now, you know, hearing how ungrateful you are for your children, I'm somebody who is struggling with infertility and you are complaining about not being able to go swimming on a hot day, but you're holding a baby. And they, you know, they really put a lot into this message. And I said, look, I'm in no way ungrateful for my children. I'm hot. I want to join the fun. Yeah. I do wish I could go in the water. It does kind of suck that I can't go swimming. Would I trade my baby for it? Hell no. The two right. aren't the two aren't mutually excuse, exclusive, you know. They I can want to join the fun. I can have bad days. I can complain. I can vent and not be ungrateful for my children. Mm-hmm. And I I've experienced one miscarriage and it, it was quick. It was like a quick turnaround for me. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that it impacted me as much as it impacts other women. 
sometimes that, you know, go through this a lot. But I, I was curious, that kind of rhetoric, right? The not complaining, but venting. Did you feel ever like if you heard other people saying that, like speaking like that publicly, would you feel like maybe they shouldn't be complaining that much? And then did you have a hard time ever voicing your frustrations or anything like that? That's a great question. On a similar vein, I had someone ask me if I would be, how my children would feel reading my book, wondering that I complained about them and if they would feel like I was ungrateful to have them because I talked about them in a negative light. And I think that this is such an important message that we can have empathy and sympathy depending on our whether or not we've had the experience for women or whomever who are in the midst of trauma, undergoing a difficult experience, and still understand that it is vitally important for us to be able to say, this shit is hard. <laughs> yes. For us to be able to say, just like you, yes, it is. it sucks to not be able to go swimming when it's hot. It sucks to be stuck at home with kids during a pandemic. You know, it probably would be easier right now if we're in the middle of a lockdown to not have little kids. It doesn't mean would I trade them? Absolutely not, like you said. Do I think that when my kids are older and they read my book, I think they're going to laugh about the fact that I once climbed out a window holding my baby because I got locked in their room. Like, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) toddler locks, you got to be careful. I I put one on the outside of my daughter's door because my two-year-old kept running in and waking up during naps, but then he figured out how to use it. And it was a mom fail moment, but (laughs) thankfully we were on the first floor and I figured it out. But like, I think that we, this is what I've come to learn about mothers is when we're drowning and we feel pain, we try to find someone who's drowning worse than we are. And we look at them and say, you know, you have it worse than me. So I'm okay. We do this to ourselves to feel better, but really in the end, we never feel better standing on someone else. We don't. And so this is that I've totally feel like this is where mom wars come from. This is where all the shaming comes from is insecurities in ourselves. We all have them, but we try and hide them. We try and pretend like they're not there. And I am so sorry that that woman is going through pain right now that she felt the need to lash out to you. But lashing out to you did not make her pain go away. It probably didn't make her feel any better either. Yeah. She just pointed out that she just focused on something that she doesn't have. And that really doesn't solve anyone's problem. And, you know, my, my take on that too is... I, I don't think that sometimes people realize, you know, I, th- I think their visceral reaction could be like, oh my God, I want a baby so bad. How can you complain? And I understand that, you know, if you don't have a child yet and that's what you want. But then I also think, and what they may or may not come to realize later is they're putting a lot of pressure on themselves from even before they are a parent to not voice their frustrations to, you know, play the happy 50s housewife in their brain and try to live up again to an expectation that is really hard to live up to. Because parenthood, not just motherhood, fatherhood, like parenthood is tough. Aspects of it suck. Aspects of it are absolutely wonderful and bring me more joy than I've ever experienced in my life. But sometimes I'm like sitting there, you know, my kids are throwing a fit and I'm like, what the hell did I get myself into? And it's hard enough. We don't need to put that pressure on ourselves and on other people, right? And in those circumstances, and I I told this woman, I said, look, I so appreciate your support. However, maybe it's time to unfollow me 
maybe it's time to, if you don't like this, because, you know, I'll probably complain about something again next week. (laughs) That's just kind of how it is. And it's always done in a loving way. But, you know, thinking about your kids reading this book when they are older, what are your thoughts on that? Like, are you going to read it to them? Are you going to let them go and check it out on their own? Well, so I got my first copy in the mail last week of like, got to hold it. And that was such a cool experience. And so the book is dedicated to my kids. And so, because without them, what content do I have for motherhood? Obviously my husband gets, you know, a nice little note in there too, because without him, it's kind of difficult to have had them. But, um, and so I showed them their names in there. My daughter Aww. is who's three only can recognize the A in Avery, but Ben knows his name. And so he found it in there and he was really excited to see that. And they're all, they all looked at it and they're like, why are you on, why is your picture on the cover of this book? Like they don't quite understand that. Like I wrote it, <laughs> but it's cute to see. I, I don't know what their experience is going to be with it. Probably different for both of them because their personalities are mm-hmm. night and day from each other, but I'll be interested to see how yeah. it goes. No, that's so exciting. It is so exciting. And really congrats on getting that. Cause that must feel so good to have that, you know, that actual physical representation of all the hard work that you have yeah. been doing. That's amazing. And, you know, just thinking about, again, the expectations and the reality for you, what do you think shaped your idea of what motherhood was? Like, was it movies? Was it friends, family, your own mother? So probably a combination of all of those things. I have a great mother. She and I are not the same, however. So she is a lot more controlled than I am. I guess I would say like, I am just, she read, she was one of my beta readers, which was really fun to have her read it. Just, you just have a lot of anxiety. <laughs> it was one of her first comments that she said. And I was like, well, I mean, <laughs> do you remember me growing up? <laughs> so she just was a lot more, or at least came across to me as a lot more self-assured than I ever was. Mm-hmm. But selflessness was always something that I saw in motherhood. And I think that that's really an interesting message that I always saw that in movies and culture and in a lot of ways in my own mother, because it's a beautiful, but a very dangerous message, this selflessness. Yes. Would I do absolutely anything for my children? Yes. But do we do that as a society often at our own, to our own detriment? Yes. yes. So trying to, I mean, the term self-care is almost used so much that does it even have meaning anymore, but <laughs> It's so important to figure out what that looks like for you and to model that to our children, trying to rewrite. I mean, as our generations of women learning what, how to balance what we're, what a modern female looks like. I've also, this has been a side note too. I've gotten so many comments from people on, you know, you're college educated. Why are you a stay at home mom now? That's a fun one too. You know, these just these judgmental comments and like, how do you define that as a modern woman? Why did you make this decision and how to just kind of define your own role and what you're showing to your children? I don't know. It's such a broad question. I feel like you can see in like the sitcoms from growing up, the perfect mother would have this. I think I say this in one of my chapters, you know, there'd be that soft ballad as they bake cookies (laughs) and talk to their children about life and everybody would hug in the end. And there'd be that one tear. Um, (laughs) I'm not that mother. I still scream at points and I don't mean to, and I try to do the gentle parenting, but then I'm not calm enough to do it. And mm-hmm. then it <laughs> blows up in my face. <laughs> I feel like I'm rambling, but I don't know. I, 
motherhood is different for me every day because our world is different every day and my kids are different every day. So I wake up every day trying to do the best I can and my best is sometimes different than it was the day before. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that's how I feel too. So, you know, I bartended for so long before having kids and also teach high school that I think one skill that I didn't realize that I had to such a high degree was patience. And even then I still like, I've never like yelled, yelled, but I do use my teacher voice a lot. And because my husband and my kids never hear it, Shane, my husband's always like, Ooh, Alex, like calm down. I'm like, Shane, like I'm not yelling. I'm just speaking loudly. We can deal with this. But you know, sometimes like I get to that point. For me, the point isn't yelling. It's like kind of breaking down emotionally and crying. And other days I'll go through so much more crap than I did on the day that I cried and I can handle it and I'll still be having fun or at least keeping it together. And then, you know, one day literally milk will spill. And I will bawl my eyes out just because it's a different day. And that is the thing on that day that's going to impact me. And and I think that you're so right. You know, our limits and what we're capable of and how we parent changes daily. It's so tough. It sounds like, you know, you had like a great role model as a mother. And I feel I did too. My mom's amazing. But I know that's not the case for everybody. And were you given good advice when you were pregnant for the first time, you know, everybody's like throwing so much at you. So I guess give me your best piece of advice that you got and the worst. So my best piece of advice came from my aunt Lisa and it was parent within your personality. So I loved it because she said, if you are a laid back person, like it sounds like you are, don't try to be the person with the super rigid expectations because it's not going to fit you. And if you are me, <laughs> don't try to be the laid back person because you're going to drive yourself crazy pretending to be laid back. Yes. So it was such great advice. I was pregnant with my son and we were oh, happier times and we were just traveling and doing whatever. <laughs> we were in California and she was telling me this and it was brilliant advice. And I think the worst advice I got was all of the just waits is my yeah. least favorite phrase is Same. when people say, Oh, just wait until they, mm-hmm. and then proceed to say some negative phase. The hardest phase is both the phase you're in and the phase you just passed. Kids have something beautiful about the phase they're in, and they also have something really challenging. And especially, I feel that this is true. I'm the oldest, so I can say this, but for your oldest child as they are, you are raising them as they are raising you. Like you I tell my five-year-old all the time, I'm like, dude, I've never done this before. Like, I am sorry. I, when you do this, I, I got it. I'm starting from scratch, man. Like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. And I hope that he's not, you know, losing confidence in me as a mother, but I hope that he, <laughs> I can, see, I hope he can see what I, I did not always see as a child that parents are human, Yes, you know? And I think that that's something that is new for our children's generation is that, adults apologize a lot more than they used to. They're seen as fallible and human. And I love any chance I have to apologize to my son because I can teach him or, and my daughter, I can teach them what it means to be wrong, to be a contrite human, to say, I made a mistake and that's okay. It doesn't make me a bad person. It makes me human just like you. And that's I mean, I make mistakes all the time, so (laughs) I get a lot of opportunities. 
I'm so impressed that you never yell. It's my Achilles yell. No, like, like, like it's a teacher voice. So it's like halfway between normal voice and yelling. You know what I mean? It's like, it's getting, it's, it's yelling for me, I guess. That's still great. I I cry a lot though. Meredith, I cry so much. (laughs) So you'd be happy with your yelling. I'll just like have to go in the bathroom for like five minutes and just sit there and breathe and cry. And then I'm okay. But it takes five minutes out of my freaking day. You know, it's fine. It's good that these kids are seeing that we're human because then when they're human, they know that it's okay. No, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think fallibility is so important to know and to recognize in ourselves as parents and to apologize. And same as you, I apologize to my my three-year-old all the time because I want to model that for her and I want to show her how to do that. And I I think that is – so, so important. When was the moment that you realized that your expectations and your reality that you were living might not always match up? Was it during pregnancy, postpartum, or when you were kind of in the thick of parenting? Well, there were several moments that I realized this. I think the most poignant though was night two at home with my son, my oldest, was sitting there trying to nurse which was like our six in a row of nursing. I feel like that second night when they're like, realize that they're out of you and they want just only mom. The second night is a night from hell. I always tell people this. It's a night from hell. It is. It's the night from hell. And I was, my husband was sleeping, which I mean, God bless him. If I could have, I would have been, I just remember glaring at him. Like I could smother you with a pillow right now because you can sleep and your nipples don't work. And (laughs) kind of hate you for being a mom, though I really love this baby. And I just kept looking around being like, who let me be in charge of this child? Like who, like, where are the grownups? Like, this is not okay. Yes. And it was not quite my vision of me standing in the nursery with like an ethereal white gown on nursing with like light shining on me as I like looked like the angel of death with the circles <laughs> under my eyes and was bleeding and still looked six months pregnant, which I also did not know. And I'm a nurse. Like I should have known that like, but you were, you were ICU, not necessarily pediatric ICU. Yeah. No, I was not. I did not have any idea, but I just assumed that I should know these things. I assumed I should know things right? or like that because people were like, Oh, breastfeeding is natural, that it would be easy and it wouldn't hurt. Like I knew it might hurt a little. Oh, it, it just, everything was bleeding. Like everything was leaking. My eyes, my boobs, you know, I just was like, this is not what I thought it would be. (laughs) He's so cute, but like, what is this? So that was probably the first time. And it kind of just went like that for the last five years. So (laughs) yeah, you know, it's, it's a roller coaster, And that's like, you know, my first time in pregnancy was when I was told that we were at an incredibly high risk. And this happened with both my daughters of having a chromosomal abnormality for each of our babies. Like our second one was one in 18 chance, which is like, so, you know, they only tell you if you're like one in 250. And then we're Mm -hmm. at one in 18. I was losing my mind. I was like, I'm supposed to be happy right now. This is horrific. And it was just, it was such a scary phase, right? Uh, And then again, the breastfeeding thing. I had, I've been now breastfeeding my second for 14 months, almost 15 months. And my first, I breastfed for 18 months. So like both super successful. It was so second nature. But those first for the first girl, two months. And then for my second, the first two weeks, 
awful, awful. And I did not think that it was going to be even close to that awful. And again, you just you just don't know because people don't share those kinds of things. And of course, now people are becoming more open about it. But like, did you have anybody in your life when you were pregnant for the first time that was saying, oh, like, this is so tricky. You know what I mean? Like, to be real with you? I did. I had one friend who, when I was pregnant with, like, she's like, no, you're just going to live in, like, mesh panties with ice in them. And I was like, I feel like maybe you are like struggling. Maybe this didn't go well for you. And now I was like, she was the only honest one. All the rest of them (laughs) were just sugarcoating it. And so I decided, I was like, if people ask me, I'm going to tell them the truth. I'm not going to try and scare them because I know some people like to try and scare new moms. You kind of got to let it in like a little bit at a time, but I'm not going to pretend that things that are hard and it's going to be a different hard for everyone. I breastfed both my kids exactly eight months and three days because I wanted it to be equal so that if they ever, <laughs> I know so my personality that like, I was like, I don't want them to ever have a complex that like one got a day longer or a feed longer. I hated it the entire time. I mean, I was grateful that I was able to, for anybody who struggled, like I know that not everyone can. And I was grateful, but like that exact number of days that I made it with my son, I wanted to make it with my daughter. So I was like, that's hilarious that is okay i mean if there's a type that's a type (laughs) that's a plus type (laughs) that's very funny and and you know what it is it's like there there's a line that you have to draw because are we going to look at everything in rose-colored glasses and give that to new moms or are we going to like get the flashlight under our chin at a campfire and make it super spooky it's like no let's just Real natural lighting. Let's not be any, you know, like one way or the other. And just let people come to you if they want to know something because people prepare for things differently. I Mm -hmm. like to prepare for my first birth by watching like literally hours of birth videos online. And I was like, okay, if this lady can do it and I'm like, I look stronger than her, like I, I look tougher, like I'm sure I can handle it. And that sounds weird and judgmental, but it helped me and it helped me prepare. But it's like some people don't want to look at that and they want to prepare in their own way. They want to meditate. And it's like we can't put, you know, the way we did things on other people because it might totally F them up. Mm-hmm. How did you prepare? Well, I stopped reading at the end of the third trimester books. I didn't read anything about labor or delivery And then when I got there, I had no idea what was going on for my first. And that was not what I should have done. I will say (laughs) it did not go all that well. My first delivery experience, I felt very out of control, very much like I did not have, like I was not in charge of it. And I did it a lot differently the next time. The next time I, well, one, I had done it before. So I knew what to expect. Yeah. And just even knowing how to push was helpful. And I mean, they had to tell me like to slow down because I was much more efficient. Though I did say in pushing my daughter out, I looked at my husband, I said, I can't have two kids. And he's like, well, you're crowning. So I feel like now is not the time. (laughs) Keep her in. Keep her in. I know. I was like, I just want one. I just want one. And he's like, I think we've kind of crossed that bridge. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You're past the point. Yeah. And then they just kept saying, wow, she's big. I was like, can we talk about this in a minute? Like. Yeah. yeah. Fun. Yeah. Fun. Right. That's what you want to hear as she's busting through your vaginal opening. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. Is how I'm like, okay. Thanks I guys. Mean, like, yeah. 
<laughs> my favorite line, my sister-in-law just had my, so my first niece, she goes, when she was about to have her, she goes, all I want is to be the heroine of my own birth story. And I thought that was the greatest line. I think that's awesome. I think yeah. that's so awesome. And you know, again, that, you know, it could look different for different people. And being the heroine of your own birth story doesn't mean that it has to be like a natural water birth where you're totally zen. It could just be feeling empowerment in the decisions that you're saying yes or no to the doctors, that they're saying maybe we should do that. And I think that is so great. That's such a great way to word it. I, I've never heard I that. Love I love that. it. Yeah. It can, it can be saying exactly what you said. And that's what I regret about my son's delivery is that I did not choose to be as informed as I should have been. Mm -hmm. I, and I had the tools to do so. And I just kind of out of fear, probably of the unknown and it all worked out fine. I mean, I had some complications that I think had I been more informed, I wouldn't have had, I had a postpartum hemorrhage that I think I should have advocated for myself better for, but I switched hospitals and doc. I mean, we're both an ICU nurse. My husband's a doctor. So we, we were going to be a hospital birth couple, no matter what, but, mm -hmm. um, especially having had complications the first time the second go around, but switch providers. And I think that that's important. I mean, you be your own advocate. Like I'm, as you can imagine very much on kind of the traditional side of things, which is fine for me, if it's mm -hmm. not for you and you can figure out a way that works for you, absolutely, then that's great. But it's fun for me to learn all the different ways to mother, because I feel like this has been a good growth opportunity for me because part of my original like viewpoint on my reality versus expectations of motherhood was there is one way to do things, right? This is the right way yeah. to mother. And in doing research for this book and meeting other mothers and talking to experts and seeing how people do things, I feel like I've just softened on a lot of things. And that's been really good for me as a human. I mean, just to really look at the world a little in just a softer light and say, you know, maybe this works for my family, but maybe that's not the only way mm -hmm. to do things. All right, Meredith, we're going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we're supported by. We are supported by Bravado Designs. Bravado Designs just makes my favorite bras in the world. And yes, I do shout this from the rooftops every single Saturday night. Shout it right now. I love Bravado Designs. Okay, too loud, too loud. The bras are like buttery soft. And their nursing bras, which are the ones that, you know, I first kind of was introduced to the company with, they're so easy to use. Like they're really, I can't fiddle with that stuff. And their bras just make it so easy. However, now they have an everyday collection. They don't have clips. They're not for nursing mothers. They're for anybody with boobs who likes to wear a bra. And they truly are so great, so supportive, and so comfortable. So you can get the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com or you can head to the Canadian website for access to the everyday collection at ca.bravadodesigns.com. But regardless of which website you go to, use the promo code thisfamilytree20 for 20% off. Again, that's bravadodesigns.com and thisfamilytree20. Now let's get back to our interview with Meredith. Yeah. And you know, I, I'm finding that more too, just in having a second kid and being like, wow, like even as a baby, I can't really parent this kid the same, even as a baby, because they're so different. And the way I did it with my oldest, Lucy, I can't do with Betty because she doesn't respond to that. And she mm -hmm. needs encouragement in a different way. And it's like, oh crap, it's, I didn't have it totally figured out before. I'm still learning. And if I had a third which again, knocking on any wood I can find, I don't want. But 
if I did, I'm sure that I would have to again reevaluate, you know, kind of learn. I'm going to have a baseline, but you're going to have to learn some things from scratch and new techniques from scratch, new strategies. And it's it's going to be different for each kid. And I think that that is so – and it's like what you were talking about at the very beginning. It's so evergreen. It's always changing. And mm-hmm. it is so fascinating and it's it's hard, but it's so magical how it always does do that. I think it's so interesting. And, you know, when it comes to your book, I'm sure mm-hmm. you've written – I have not read it. Uh, but the whole gamut of things, and there's so much to talk about when it comes to motherhood. But what do you think that your readers will connect with the most? So it's divided into three sections. The first section is on common insecurities, and they're all about early motherhood. So like I was saying, how we get pregnant and give birth, how we feed our babies, how they sleep, and our parenting styles. And then I go into the personal and societal reasons why these occur. So I talk about things like social media and maternal mental health and body image, things like that. And then finally, the third section is in what we do about these things so that we can grow into the women that we're destined to be. There is a faith component in there, but I don't think that this book is like purely for Christian women at all. I mean, Jesus is in the title, but like, it's also kind of like a, God, please help me (laughs) kind of a thing. So I think that, I mean, different women will find different things from it. For me, I mean, I share a lot about just the pressures of this idea that there is a way to be a perfect mother. And I think what, no matter what your personality type is like, I think all of us have felt this idea that there is a certain way. I mean, in, even in different types of motherhood. So there's like this, there's a specific way to be the perfect crunchy mom. There's a specific way to be the perfect Pinterest mom. There's a specific way to be all these different types of moms. And, you know, make sure that you rub them down with coconut oil and essential oils before bed, or make sure their monogrammed outfit is laid out before, you know, they get their silhouettes taken. Like, I mean, like (laughs) there's a subscribed list of how you're supposed to do everything and none of us can keep up. I think that's what will resonate with most people. You may or may not agree with the way that I chose to do X, Y, and Z, but so I hope that you will find something in there that resonates with you, however you choose to raise your little humans. And I hope that you will feel less alone in the world reading that there are other women out there who feel insecure, who feel that even though they are struggling, that every day they wake up and do the best that they can and that you're not alone. When it comes to social media, do you find that it was – more beneficial or affected you in a more negative way when you were a new mom? So I, I don't know. It's a double-edged sword. I feel like I loved living vicariously through other people on vacation and things like that, but I feel like it's very easy to get caught up in. I love Glennon Doyle just shared this quote that um, (laughs) it was about stop comparing yourselves to other people's feeds because you're what you're seeing on social media because you're comparing yourselves to their feeds not their real lives and that just resonated so much with me because I feel like it's so true it's a highlight reel yeah it is it's a total highlight reel and that is something that I personally have struggled with because my whole mission is to try and be really authentic in motherhood But then I struggle with, well, how do you gain traction on social media is you show something pretty, but you show something pretty. Am I being then inauthentic? How do you, where's the line there where I choose to be authentic, but then I also am staying true to who I am. I don't know. It's a, Mm -hmm. it's a tough concept for early motherhood. I just, 
I deleted my Instagram. Oh, wow. Good for you. Yeah. Um, I granted five years ago, Instagram was not nearly as popular Mm -hmm. as it is now. At least I wasn't. (laughs) Um, Anyway, I mean, it was for a lot of people, but it just wasn't really my thing. Definitely still looked at Facebook, especially those middle of the night feeds when you're like, I look at anything. I mean, I have watched all of Parks and Rec probably 15 times because I'm like, (laughs) I need something to do to stay awake chewing on ice. But um, I don't know. I, the things that always killed me because I've always struggled with body image have been the get your post baby body back. Those things as if your body actually went somewhere and just reminding myself that bones and organs had to move Mm -hmm. this baby somewhere and that it may take a while or it may never go back to the high school body that I had in that that's life and, and that's it, okay. And it shouldn't. And I don't it want shouldn't. it to. Like, why do I want to look like a high school kid? I was an idiot as a high school kid. <laughs> like, I didn't I didn't appreciate myself as much as I do now. I didn't appreciate the things that my body could do as much as I do now. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I, I don't want to be that person anymore. I want to be the person that I am now. And I want to look the way I do now and the way that I'll look in five years, 10 years, whatever that is. That's so huge for me. And it's been a struggle to get to this point. And, you know, in my early 20s and as a teenager, it was not like this. And I, I did not respect my body and everything as much as I do. And it it's hard. I don't know any woman like not a single one. And please, if you're that unicorn that has always loved your body, make yourself known to me. I want to talk to you on this podcast, but I've never met a woman who has always been happy with themselves or whose journey hasn't been difficult. I wish my biggest hope for women is that, I mean, this is my wish for myself that I could show up for my body as much as my body has always shown up for me. Because as much as I have dismissed it and treated it poorly and not respected it has carried children for me. It has shown up for me each day to help me walk and talk and do all of these amazing things, exercise, get into a new yoga shape that then I fall out of because I'm clumsy, but you know, and instead of loving and respecting it, I've often not. And I wish that we as a society could grow to mm-hmm. a place where No, I agree. And, you know, we talk a lot about that when it comes to bodies. And I'm curious to know your opinion on our faces, because Mm -hmm. I think that that is something that a lot of us have a different opinion on, where it's, you know, we're getting to a point now where we're saying accept your bodies, but then are we getting to a point also where we're saying accept your face how it is, accept your age as it is. So I'm curious your take on that and on just, I guess the aging process. And do you accept your face as it is? Do you, you know, like there's like diet culture with our bodies, Mm -hmm. but then there's also injection culture when it comes to faces. And is your take on that the same, or is that something that has been a different journey for you? That's such an interesting question. I never thought about it that way before. Well, I don't know. Um, Honestly, and I'm just just to ease it too, this wasn't something that was on my radar at all until like six months ago. And I've told the story on the podcast a few times, but my three-year-old was like, mommy, why are you putting on makeup? And then I couldn't come up with an answer that I felt comfortable with. Like, oh, to be prettier? Is it to look better, to look younger? Like what is, like none of them sat well with me and I still wear makeup every day, but 
I'm kind of working through this aspect now too. And I love to get the take from other mothers as well. That's really interesting. I like makeup too, but I am probably not very comfortable with my skin has always been my issue. I've had a lot of acne issues my whole life. Um, I have not done the injection thing. Hasn't really, I have definitely thought about it, but I don't know if I every day. (laughs) I don't know if I've thought about it because I want it for, I guess that's how I feel about it is I feel like it's similar to my view on any type of cosmetic, anything is Mm -hmm. if you're doing it for you, then I don't have an issue with it. If you're doing it because you feel insecure towards others, then I feel like that's something that you need to do internal work on. Mm -hmm. Um, now when you phrase it as being the same thing as like a diet culture body thing, now I have, I don't know. I feel like I'm going to have to spend some time thinking about how I feel about this. <laughs> yeah. And this is such a poignant question. I, I feel like typically, even when I don't know how to answer a question, I can kind of just like say something, but mm-hmm. you kind of have given me a lot of room to think about this and I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, no, you know, it, it, it's something that I'm still working through and, and my opinion on this is fluid. Uh, where I stand right now is that I don't want to, you know, if I'm trying to learn to appreciate my body, and as I said, it's been a journey, I'm also going to try to learn to appreciate my face and the aging and, you know, say no at this point in my life to injections, fillers, whatever, uh, because I want to be as fair to my face as I am trying to be to my body. Mm-hmm. And and that's where I am. So yeah, I'm just, I'm so curious. This is, it's just been something that I've been like kind of obsessed with and just obsessed with learning about and getting more people's takes on, but. So, but like, how does that extend to like, would you dye your hair if it turned gray or would you use it gray? I don't know. I don't know. I don't have grays yet. I I just got highlights for the first time in two years, but I think it's the fact that we all have a personal line. And I think for me, I recognize that anything that I do here it feels like I'm doing it for myself. Like I feel great when I have a full fresh head of blonde highlights, but why does a full head of fresh blonde highlights make me feel better? It's not because right. of me. If it was because of me, geez Louise, if I was doing stuff for me, I would just wake up every morning, feel so good about every part of myself and then head out the door. Right. But I mean, I don't wear makeup for me either. I don't try right. to look nicer or look more fresh for me in the sense that these ideals were put onto me from other people, right? From outside sources. So yeah, my personal line, I guess, is I'll do makeup and hair and like nails and stuff. That's my personal line, but everybody has a different personal boundary. And I I think it's so fascinating to talk about those boundaries, especially uh, raising two daughters. Mm -hmm. I want to have some kind of answers, or at least I want to have a stance and I'm developing that stance right now. That is so fast. Yeah, I'm gonna have to think about this too because I'm sure. I mean, my daughter is obsessed with the idea of makeup, and she's three. <laughs> like, same with mine. That's that's why I, I'm like kind of doing this because that's kind of scary. And then looking at social media, and it all freaks me out. Right. But yeah. I I like looking pretty by the you know right. the typical I mean, standard. Right. <laughs> so it's hard. Yeah. No worries. I, I appreciate you even, even broaching that. Um, no, of course I, but I was like, Oh, I don't know how to answer this. I feel like I usually know how I feel or at least can venture a guess, but I was like, I don't, I don't even know how I feel about that, which is good to say. Like I, I like learning and exploring new topics. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, Thank no, you. no, absolutely. And 
I wanted to also get into, so you're an ICU nurse and your husband is an ER doctor, right? So in Oklahoma City, so we're in Toronto, we're in Canada and things are still, you know, they've been on a lull. Shane and I, uh, so I'm immunocompromised as is my baby. We both have lupus. So we've been like pretty holed up the last Mm -hmm. freaking year and a half, over a year and a half. And now we're like getting back out and stuff. We're vaccinated and we're feeling good about things. But you guys being in the the medical community, do you – and I don't even know the situation in Oklahoma City. Like are you guys still feeling fraught by COVID and everything? Is it still very much in the minds with the Delta variant and things like that? And how has that changed your life, like being frontline workers in the past couple of years? So where we are, it is a very politicized issue, mm. um, how people feel about coronavirus I also have an autoimmune disease. So I just got my booster shot for, so I've had three vaccines now. Okay. Cause I'm going to have to sign up for a booster soon. Yes. I just got it two weeks ago. I have spondyloarthritis. So it's okay. just like a, yeah. So it is interesting. My son is in public kindergarten. So there are, there's no mask mandate here for that mm-hmm. as a, it's on a, as parent wish basis. In fact, our governor made it illegal for schools to require masks. For all ages? Yes. High school? Yes. But high schoolers can be vaccinated here. It's It's a very interesting dynamic here. Mm -hmm. I am very pro-vaccine and pro-science. Yes. Um, well, not- and, and just to make you feel more comfortable, we are very much that way. We do have listeners who are not, and that's fine. We appreciate them as I'm sure they appreciate us, but they know that we are a very pro vaccine podcast. <laughs> so it's definitely not the most comfortable time when you don't know how people are feeling. Um, our kids, I mean, so our children are not old enough in the U S to be vaccinated unless they're 12 and older, but hopefully by, hopefully by, yeah, I wasn't sure in Canada what you were for yet. Um, hopefully by December, my five-year-old should be able to get vaccinated. And then my three-year-old hopefully maybe in the spring, but I'm not sure how to, is that because the, they're starting to do testing with younger Mm -hmm. ages. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I would definitely, I'm going to, as soon as it's Mm -hmm. able to, as soon as we're able to get my children vaccinated, we are very confident that that is, yeah, my husband is definitely staying late at work, taking care of unvaccinated Delta variant patients. That's like in, then- in Canada, it's the majority of people that are being hospitalized. Like, I mean, like the 98% are unvaccinated patients. Yeah. That's how it is here. There are a lot of theories from people who believe differently than we do that that is not really the truth. And that's frustrating, especially seeing how hard he's been working for the last year and a half to take care of this and do the mitigation efforts. It's just, it's sad to see. And it's really sad to see people putting these beliefs onto kids. And that's what it's turning into is these wars in schools. And it's just disheartening as a parent to see this happening. And I don't know. I don't know our way out of this. I mean, I, fully don't believe that coronavirus is going away. I think that it's going to end up being something that's seasonal, kind of like the flu. But I think that if we care about other people, which mm-hmm. is 
that we should do as good humans that (laughs) this is the right thing to do. I mean, part of the reason I was thinking about how I'm self-conscious about my face right now is that I'm broken out because I'm wearing a mask again, which I wasn't doing for a while in the summer when our caseload was down, I was able to go places for a little while. And now that our numbers are back up again, I wear a mask places. So it's, it's definitely an interesting time. It's hard to talk to kids about it because have you broached it with your five-year-old? Like how much does oh, yeah. he know? Yeah. He talks about it. Mm-hmm. He's terrified. He has a, a birthmark on his arm that he, that require it's um, a vascular birthmark that requires laser treatments inpatient under general anesthesia because it can affect his, like his ability to use his hand. Oh, wow. And so he has a really big fear of medical things in general because it just, he's had treatment since he was really little. So we've had to do a lot of like just counseling with him on things like that. And, um, so he's terrified of shots, but he told me, he's like, oh, I will get that one. I want this to go away. I will get that one. And he wears a mask at school and he knows that we do it to keep other people safe. And my little three-year-old, when we go to store, she wears one too. And she calls it her mask is, and it's just really cute. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> um, and they know that daddy takes care of sick people and it's just been a challenging time to be a parent, as you know. A parent a and Meredith, and I'm sure a parent writing a book, anything, like everything. Everything, honestly, it, it impacts our life in every single facet. And it is so hard. And I go back to work next week. So like me, I you are similar to me in that I haven't had to wear a mask really at all because I just haven't left the house. So then the past couple months, I've been wearing it more because we've finally been leaving the house and like doing things like going to the grocery store instead of getting shoppers. And I'm like, it's just a constant mask break. (laughs) So I'm finally experiencing the mask knee that everybody talks about. But yeah, I go back to work next week and I I go to work in a high school and it makes me nervous. It it does, you know, and I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to get back out. I'm excited for my daughter to get back into daycare finally because her social skills are a little bit different than they used to be. Um, But it does make me nervous. And I just, I hope that I can get her vaccinated sometime soon. And I hope that we can just get over this, the hump where everything is so dire and so everybody's at each other's throats because that is the worst part for me. It's, It's so hard to see and it's hard to listen to all the time. Oh my God, it's exhausting. And I, I can't imagine, like as a medical family, that must really grind on you in a, in a different way because your husband is there and you would be there if you were not a stay-at-home mom right now. Mm-hmm. It's hard to not take it personally, I would say, that people are choosing misinformation and blaming what – I think I have the hardest time with is when people are talking about how doctors are being willfully negligent or it's, it's, it's wild. And that I'm like, I know these people, I know my husband, I know the staff who are working extra hours over time in all this protective gear and to take care of people who are choosing not to take the life raft that they've been given. And that is very hard to hear. I'm sure that there is genuine fear out there. And I know that this is not, you know, a, a perfect solution. Obviously there are issues as there are with any solutions in the beginning, but it's just, these are real people. These are real humans with families. When you say things like that in memes, like 
there are real families out there and I wish people would understand that. I do too. I do too. And honestly, like you mentioned that there is an undertone of Christianity in your book, right? And I grew up Catholic. Like I think that it it makes sense to me that the foundation of any kind of Christian religion uh, or dogma is helping other people, doing what you can to make everybody around you safe. Uh, And for me, that's one of the hardest aspects too, is to see people flipping that and it's yeah, that there's nothing that makes me more angry than yeah. that. <laughs> and like, that, uh, that touched on a well. very, very sensitive issue for me is people using my faith or a perversion of it to defend immoral behavior. And that is, I'm glad that I'm not in charge of what happens for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying anything, you know, like that's not like a very grave statement, but I'm just like, it just, there's nothing that makes me more angry than that is people using faith to punish other people or say like, I mean, people do this all the time. They're like, oh, you're, you know, the whole, like you're going to hell for doing X, Y, and Z. Like that is not the faith that I have anyway. Like that is not what I believe. So if that's the kind of religion you want to have and I don't know. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> it sounds like, awful to me, actually. Yeah, it sounds like, very tiring yeah, like, and hateful. Sounds, yeah, like <laughs> I don't know what Bible you were reading, but it wasn't the same one I read. So. <laughs> well, Meredith, I have loved this conversation. It was kind of it was meandering, and I think that we <laughs> hit so on angry. no, it was great. Meandering in a great way. And I really appreciated that because I I feel like I sat down with a friend and just had an awesome conversation about, you know, different things that are important to both of us. And I truly appreciate you sitting and joining me for that because it was really nice. Where can listeners go to find you on social media and to find your book? So um, I'm on social media at Motherhood by Meredith is my handle. And then my book's on Amazon. It's also linked in my bio on social media. And they can buy it now. Yeah, they can buy it now. Amazing. Amazing. I would love to give you one to give away to one of your listeners too, if you'd be interested in that. 100%. We will do a giveaway. We'll line up a giveaway with this episode release. So when that happens, I'll message you and we'll set it up. But that's the best. Meredith, again, thank you so much. Wishing you all the best with your book and with your husband's work. I know he's working tirelessly. Thank him for that. But truly, so nice to get to know you. Thank you. All right. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. Meredith Redman. See, wasn't that, uh, I guess you haven't, you didn't hear it at the point that we're recording this, but it was such a great conversation for me. And I really loved that because I I heartballed her a bit. And she was so willing to sit there and think and chat and really be honest and candid with me. And you don't get that out of many guests. You know what I mean? I loved that her, she's an author and her last name is Redman. Oh. I love when that happens. It's like your occupation fits your last name. Yeah. Like no, I knew a good. librarian named Bookman. I knew a porn star named Dickman. You knew it? No. <laughs> <laughs> but This yeah. is me trying to be funny here in a very uh, aggressive way. It got a laugh out of me. Yeah. But yeah, Meredith was wonderful. And I highly recommend everybody pick up a copy of her book because I think she's going to have uh, a lot of great stuff to say in it. I knew a porn star named Boobman. Boobman, Would Shane. Boobman have been Boobman, funnier? Is there, have you ever heard of a Boobman? No. You've heard of a Dickman? Well, I, yeah, and guys with their first name is Dick, short for Richard. Dickman. In, in the I last can, name? I can guarantee if we look up 
Dickman. We're going to see people with last name Dickman. We will never see anybody with last name Boobman. I have a company phone, so I can't uh, Google Dickman right now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, feel free to cut any of that, Erica, at your own discretion. Okay, next interview, Tia Slidem. But before we get to this great interview, let's tell everyone who we're supported by. We are supported by Mabel's Labels. Frustrated by their children's things getting lost, mixed up, and leaving home never to return, Julie Cole and three other mom friends knew they could do better than just scribbling their kids' names on some masking tape. From there, Mabel's Labels has turned into an award-winning, market-leading company loved by moms and dads and daycare workers, preschool workers, teachers, and nannies, and whatever, whoever takes care of kids or just disorganized people alike. Yeah, it's label season, too. If you're going to get labels, get them now. Use our promo code. <laughs> Absolutely. But Lucy loves the labels because she co-creates them with me online. She can decorate them however she wants. And then it gives her a sense of responsibility with her own things. And Shane and I love them because their line of products is huge. They feature baby bottle labels, allergy and medical alert products, sports labels, household labels, and seasonal items. We started using them in the fridge. We did. It started out as a joke for a TikTok video and now we actually do it. Nobody is going near my ricotta cheese. But they are also extremely durable. And I'm talking laundry, dishwasher, and microwave safe. And they're 100% guaranteed. You can also hit them with a hammer. So head on over to mableslabels.ca to start creating your very own labels. And use our promo code, thisfamilytree15, for 15% off your order. They deliver internationally and they offer free standard shipping in Canada and in the U.S. Again, that is mableslabels.ca and thisfamilytree15. And now let's get to our interview with Tia. Puppies are kind of like newborns. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, like you're talking about sleeping through the night accidents. At least newborns are wearing diapers, I guess. Yeah, I know. Because otherwise it's all over my house. So luckily she hasn't had any accidents, but it's 24-7 like newborns where they always need something. They won't play independently. Like yesterday I was trying to do a live and she was down under eating the cord. Then I was having to bend over and I was like, I need a bloopers editor because this puppy has me like all over the room right now. But I haven't, we, she was up like every hour on the hour. Oh oh and I was gosh. like, what the hell is going on? But last night she left in the night. Like needing to go to the bathroom though? Needing to go to the bathroom. Yeah. She like gets in her crate and she'll like, bah, 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 bah. and I'm like, oh my, oh my gosh. gosh. And I didn't know like, are you nervous? Do you miss your mommy? Do you miss your brothers? Do you have to shit or piss? Like, what do you need to do? <laughs> so I uh, would take her out and she'd go every single time. Um, she's so good, but last night she slept through the night and I literally feel like I won the lottery, although I still look and feel tired. I need no, to catch up. Well, you like what you look great and congratulations on <laughs> the you. sleeping puppy. Cause that is huge news. But, uh, yeah, Tia, I mean, we're going to be talking about sleep a little bit in this conversation, but you know, school is next week where we live and like we have a kid going to preschool and it's, it's a lot to prepare for, especially because we're going up north this weekend to the cottage. And Lucy, our, our three-year-old, she's only just started to socialize again because she's been at home with us. And, like, we weren't even going to parks until a few months ago. Yeah. So she's still learning and still learning how to act in public. And I'm going to start this with a very specific to me situation, yeah. but other people will be able to relate in some regard. So I'm going back to work also next week uh, after maternity leave, and I've been off for, what, like 14, 15 months. And 
I am, I'm nervous. Like, frig, I need to put myself through transition. I'm very nervous. But I took the kids shopping with me last week because, like, nothing fits. I needed to get new stuff, right? So we're in the store. The second we get in, I'm like, okay, Lucy, like, we're going to, you got to listen to mommy. If everything goes well, I know I shouldn't bribe with treats, but I was like, if everything goes well, we'll get a donut. It'll be great. We'll have, like, a nice morning, you know? It'll be a really nice time. Get in the store. Within 30 seconds, Tia, she's like on the ground, like spread eagle. And that is when I realized that somehow in trying to get them from outside of the house to the car, she took off her undies. So she is lying on the floor, vulva wide open, and like touching all the clothes, like trying to play hide and seek with me. And then so finally get a few things, get her in the change room. We're in the change room. It's a really small shop. And she goes, mommy, what's stupid mean? And I'm like, oh, my God. And then I go, well, honey, it's not a nice word and we don't use it because it's mean. And she goes, you're stupid. And I'm like, okay, Lucy, we don't use that word. It's not okay. She goes, but this is stupid. And she's screaming it. And I'm like, okay, the people outside the store that work here, they have already seen her butt. They know she's not wearing underwear. Now they're hearing her call me stupid. And then it's like, just me wrangling her the whole time. I was getting side eye people. I could only imagine what they were thinking, honestly. They probably thought I was so unfit. I was humiliated. I was trying was to nervous. I was so nervous. Mm-hmm. Like I was so nervous. And honestly, like I, I was thinking too, I was like, you know, if I'm a, if I was a woman of color, I could almost guarantee somebody would call CAS on me because it 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 just looked like a bad situation, especially with the no underwear part. That was like the part that really made me the most nervous. And like, I just, I I don't even know how that happened. So anyway, the girls that work there are like side-eyeing me. Nobody's like being nice. Uh, I tried to make a joke when I was leaving. I was like, oh, thanks everyone for the lovely experience. Like, I hope everybody's relaxed now. And nobody smiled, nobody laughed. So I just like left the store, was in the car in tears Lucy right away was like, mommy, what's wrong? And I was like, honey, like you weren't listening to mommy. That was embarrassing. It made me feel like you didn't care what I, what I wanted you to do. And then she was just like, oh, I'm sorry, mommy. Like, please be nice mommy again. Please be happy mommy again. I'm sorry. And it was like heartbreaking all around, mm-hmm. all around. So that got me nervous for school and for her being in public and not necessarily being used to being in public. And it's like that behavioral transition, I am terrified about. Like, Tia, what would you have done if you were me in that situation? How would you have handled it? Yeah, so what we we want to do is you, you want to stop in that situation. I know it's hard not to care what everybody else thinks because immediately her behavior is a reflection on us and everybody's thinking that we don't have control over our kids and they act like that because we're shitty parents and now we just feel like we're under this microscope. And so it's hard to be your best version when your nerves start to go and you're just kind of in survive, like mm-hmm. flight or flight basically. So try and in that moment, take a deep breath and be like, yes, there are people around, but I don't care. I don't care if I see them again. I don't care if I don't see them again. They don't know the back ends. They don't, they're making their own speculation. Who cares? But in this moment, what, what are my boundaries? Am I willing to stay here and shop while she's calling me stupid? Or is my boundary that I'm actually going to leave if she says it one more time. Mm -hmm. And then we say to her, 
either we talk nice or we're going to get in the car and go home. See, I think, she, I think she wanted to go home and I was like, I have to stay here and shop. I need clothes. It's the only opportunity I have. So I was like, yeah. I needed to at least get the things I was trying on. Right. Yeah. And so, so then you do what you did. You just finish up. You just let, Mm -hmm. I would just completely ignore it though. In the moment when she's saying stupid over and over again, if she's getting a rise out of you or she sees that your emotions are heightened, that's why as soon as you said, it's not a nice word, we don't use it. She was like, oh, but I can, and I will. And (laughs) what are you going to do about it? Yeah. So sometimes we say we can't use it. And they're like, and we don't use it. And they're like, no, I will. And instead we just say, you know what, it's a word that really hurts people's feelings and makes them feel very sad. And instead of saying you can or can't use it, just talk about the why behind the word. Now, when if it happens, do what you've got to do. But now I would go back to it when you're at home. Mm-hmm. So I would go back to it. So often we deal with a situation, whether we actually deal with it or don't deal with it, but we get through it. And then we don't go back to the situation and revisit it. So she needs to be taught, like you're saying, how to socialize in public, how to self-manage, what's appropriate. And she won't learn by surviving the shop, buying our clothes, going home, and then us forgetting it, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it, it totally does. And when's it appropriate to bring that up again? Like, do I bring it up right when we're home so it's fresh in memory? Or do we just have that conversation in preparation for school? Because like the other thing that she says, which she gets from me totally, what the heck? Like she'll drop something, she'll go, what the heck? And it's like kind of funny. I don't laugh. But I've been telling her when she says it, I'm like, okay, honey, like we're not going to say that at preschool. They won't appreciate that. Um, it, it makes it makes some people feel sad, whatever. So do I bring up conversations about like stupid and what the heck? Do I initiate that conversation or do I wait for her to say it? Because I, I don't know when she'll say stupid again. I don't know if she will. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would initiate it because it was a problem. We weren't happy with it. We want to teach, train, and practice. So bring it up. Bring it up. uh, Probably not on the drive home because she's probably still, you're worried, she's worried, you're sad, she's sad. Not a good time. (laughs) But maybe that night before bed, if you're reading a book and you're calm and everybody's happy, just say, you know, let's talk about what happened in the change room today. You know, what what do you think was made mommy sad about that and see what she says. And you can also read books about sadness or emotions. And if you were feeling sad, then you could read a book about sadness and then talk about the stupid word. And then she starts to connect the dots because she understands the concept and the whole idea around somebody feeling sad based on what somebody else did. Um, Sometimes it's hard for us to deliver the message without children's books. Mm -hmm. Now, I wonder if there's any children's books about bad language, because I feel like (laughs) that would be super helpful right now. So, you know, when we're making this this shift, I guess, in rules and in like things that we can do at home, like at home, she can run around without her gotchis on. That's fine. And she prefers that half the time, it seems right. But at school, she's got to know that she can't just like strip down and hang buck naked all day and like go and play with the blocks because that's inappropriate. So when we have different rules, like we have different rules for at home and then different rules for at school, like is she, kids kids are capable so much and I I often forget that, that even as three-year-old, she's capable of knowing the distinction. But how do I go about explaining that? Like, is it just as simple as that's okay at school or at home, but not at school or vice versa? Like, 
Yeah. I mean, if you're worried about it, then having a conversation about, you know, wearing our clothes around other people keeps our body safe and keeps our body private. Maybe when you're in the bath, you talk about how at home we're naked, but in other places we're not, or why we wear swimming suits at swim lessons, but we don't go naked. But kids are really bright and peer pressure is an amazing thing. So when they're at school and everybody's wearing clothes, typically they keep their clothes on. Um, you know, I taught kindergarten for years and nobody ever got naked. I did have one little boy who went to play in the bathroom and I taught in a 90% primarily Hispanic uh, okay. classroom and he Mr. Alex went to the bathroom <laughs> and shows back up at my door totally off topic from what we're talking about but I'm seeing naked shows up at my classroom door he's been gone with the gentleman's bathroom necklace for quite some time so I know something's going on and he comes back to the classroom dripping his long hair dripping wet and his white t-shirt totally see-through his little nipples just <laughs> right there and I, and then he goes I'm not playing in the bathroom Miss Floria I'm not playing in the bathroom and I was like uh no you played in the bathroom my friend you were obviously playing <laughs> in the bathroom you are soaking wet and you look half naked under that t-shirt oh my gosh That's so funny. but kids kids do know mm-hmm what's what's appropriate what's not around other people so i wouldn't worry too much about trying to create the school rules at home i would let school do that i would let school manage school and home manage home too often parents will say my child didn't listen at school so i'm taking away something at home and then we just create this like negativity that whatever happens at school everybody's against me nobody's on my side and they will act out more so we really want school to be school and home to be home. And if there's an issue, then yeah, we work with the teacher to help come up with a check-in system. We're going to check in with your teacher every day. We're on the same page. It's not just the teacher calls home and now mom and dad are mad. So really try and let school be school. And if there's a problem, the teacher will let you know, and then we deal with it. Okay. So it's not necessarily like for a one-time incidence, we are having some consequence at home. Right. No, it's just we're not from school. But do we address it? Do we talk about it and address it or do or do we leave even conversation at school? Yeah, I think if it's the first time and the teacher deals with it and it doesn't repeat itself, then you just let it go. Because we don't want them to feel like we're watching every move and yeah. we're like waiting for them to miss up. But what I what we want to do is have a conversation about it in a really non-judgmental way. We're not, we don't get to choose whether you're in trouble or not in trouble. We just want to help you be better. So, you know, do you want to talk about what happened at school today? Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're really angry about the other person. And then you can have a conversation about two sides. Like there's always a way to kind of just add to the conversation without having to punish. Because a lot of times parents will say, well, I've taken everything away and they're still not listening at school. And that's what's making them not listen. That's making them angry. That's making them sad. That's making them feel unsupported. And even back to the stupid word, as soon as, you know, she knew she couldn't and shouldn't, then that's giving her a lot of attention. And for her to act out while you're trying on clothes was going to give her a lot more attention than her sitting there while you tried on clothes. So Mm -hmm. kids are really, really smart. And we have to think, okay, we're going to go try on clothes. She's going to be bored. It's not exciting. I'm either going to expect that she's going to act out because I'm uncertain how uh, she's unpredictable to me right now because of COVID and we haven't been out enough for me to have it be predictable. What are my tools I'm bringing with me? Am I bringing a snack bag? Am I bringing something she's super excited about? Almost like training dogs. You bring their high value treat when you go somewhere they might get distracted with. So maybe you bring a high value surprise snack bag that she can kind of dig in and sit and kind of fool around with while you're trying on clothes. 
it's boring to try on clothes with mom. So it's more fun to act out, call you stupid and get you right up in her face because now it's back to her. So really sometimes we have to be a little bit tricky in planning ahead. And then once she's seasoned with it, mm-hmm. you don't need to do that every time you go out. Yeah. It's just, she hasn't practiced it yet. It's, it's so new to her. Uh, like COVID dogs, they're not socialized. They growl, they're angry. Mm-hmm. They didn't get to go see somebody with a beard if there isn't a beard at home. Yeah. They didn't get to see people of color, kids, other dogs. And so it's that's what happens to our kids too. They need practice with mm-hmm. the socialization. And you know, when you're talking about leaving the school issues at school if it's like a one-time thing or at least you know just leaving it at conversation at home is that to like we're dealing with a three-year-old in my house but as the ages go on is that something you recommend for like elementary age children high school Mm -hmm. age kids too yeah so my boys are 10 and 12 and I was just chatting about this yesterday in my coaching group that not all of our problems not all of our kids' problems are our problems. Mm -hmm. And so we are so emotionally tied to their success. Are they, do people want to be around them? Do people like them? Are they getting good grades? Are they doing what they're supposed to do? Are they well-mannered? You know, we're so, are they sleeping well? Are they eating well? We're so emotionally involved that their homework becomes our problem because we're like, you have to do your homework. If you don't do your homework, you're not going to go here. Like we have to just take a deep breath and be like, okay, guys, it's especially when they're 10 and 12 and you can have those conversations. It's your homework. It's your life. If, if you're not going to do it, it's going to be your choice, but you're going to have to let the teacher know. Mm-hmm. And, and if they don't want to let the teacher know, then it's okay. Well, then I'm going to need to set up a meeting. So the three of us can chat how we're going to help you be successful. Not I'm going to take away your phone, no phone till tea. No, you know, it's just becomes this negative power struggle instead of looking back and saying, what do I want to solve? I want to solve that Lucy behaves when we go in public. I want to solve that my kids do their homework. If you get into a power struggle of who's going to win and who can take away the most, we've left homework. We've left Lucy. We're only in a moment of power struggle. So I I really encourage parents to start early, like as early as Lucy's age, Mm -hmm. finding independence with her homework. So when you come home from school, you know, what are her routines? Do you want her to put her shoes by the door and unpack her backpack? Is she supposed to put papers from the teacher on the table and a water bottle on the counter? That's going to make her feel really capable and accomplished. It's also going to set you up for success when your kids get older and they're my age and they unpack and they sit down and they do their homework because that's what they've always done. When you create something that you've always done, now you just, they do it and it's not a battle. Okay. So like, Going to preschool, right? Should we just start doing that day one? Like I'll walk her through a routine of putting her shoes away, bringing up, you know, her bag because she's going to have like notes from the preschool teacher and everything. And then like she's not going to have homework. But do I maybe start getting her in – or is there anything negative, I guess, in getting her in a routine now where, you know, after preschool she comes home and maybe draws a picture for 10 minutes or 15 minutes before she goes to play in the playroom? Like, is there, is there merit in that or? Yeah. So what I would say is start small and do baby steps. So when it comes to coming home from school, if you want her to do like a three-step routine, I would make a little chart and I would have a little picture of the backpack that goes maybe on your bench or wherever you want it. I'd have a little picture of the shoes. If you want her to take her shoes off, shoes by little picture shoes, little picture of the backpack with it, like kind of opening And then um, maybe the papers, the papers are coming out, just can be a simple sketch or you can use clip art or whatever. And then maybe it's one shoes, two backpack, 
three, it's wash hands. And maybe the backpack is to the paper is to the table. Like, and you have like a little three-step thing. And then that way, when you start to practice that before school, okay, let's pretend it's a school day. What do we do when we come home? Okay. Where's your chart? Okay, Lucy, show me what's first. And then she's like, oh, my shoes. Okay, so what do we do? Let's open up the door and come in and really get her backpack on and make it exciting. And then you can role model it and say, okay, I'm going to be Lucy and you be mommy and we're going to come home from school. And then you can be her like, hi, mommy. And come in. And they usually think it's so funny. And then you say, okay, what's number one? Oh, I take my shoes off. Okay, where do they go? Okay, what do I do next? And now you can really verbalize and role model. Sometimes we just put up a chart and say like, you need to put your backpack away and your shoes away. And then it's like, there's no merit to it at all. We haven't put any value to it. And then when they come home from school, parents are like, well, I have to just keep reminding them and reminding them. Well, that's because we didn't do our proactive homework. And that means setting the stage. So in regards to your question, I would set up a chart. I would make it simple. Maybe it's a one, two, three. That way, when you're in the car, you can say, okay, what's our one, two, three magic when we get home? Or what's our one, two, three action plan? Because she's little, you'll talk about it quite a bit ahead of time. But then when you come home, you don't want to be nagging. At that point, you want her to just be doing her chart, which she will do if you've done the practice piece. Okay. Okay. okay? Really and then when it, when it comes to homework, she's going to be stimulated like crazy at school. Mm-hmm. She's going to come home and feel like I didn't get to spend any time with mommy. Right. You have a younger one, right? Yes. So she's going to think that you've spent all your time with your the little one. She's going to have missed out. She's going to have FOMO. She's going to be tired. She's probably going to be hungry. She's going to be like all these feelings. So I wouldn't push the homework yet. But if she is asking for things, then great. Then you can start putting it into a routine. Mm-hmm. She might want to come home first and have a snack yeah, and yeah. downtime and play. And then she might be excited about it. So timing is kind of the tricky piece right now at three that I wouldn't force her to come home and sit yet right. at this point. Okay. Okay. And you know, like, so I, I teach as my day job and that's what I'm going back to doing in a week, which high school. Okay. But like, so like God bless you Tia for being able to do kindergarten because Lord, like I would not, I have in the past, and I, I started like when I was waiting for a teaching job, they were like, look, like we don't have a job right now, but we need help uh, for ECEs, like early childhood educators mm-hmm. in kindergarten classrooms. Can you do that for like two months before something opens? And I was like, okay. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Like, first of all, I was sick the whole time because those kids oh. are walking Petri dishes. I know. I know. And like, next, it's just, it's hard. It's hard. I'm very, I'm good at dealing with high school age kids. I, that's where, you know, I had my training. I've always been more comfortable with that age group and, you know, consequences and teaching them and everything. But now that I have my own kids, right, I'm, the dynamic is shifting. Cause before when I thought of school and, you know, setting kids up for success, it was primarily only from the teacher's perspective. But now that I have a preschool age kids, I think of things like, you know, disciplining kids in school or having conversations about them when they are misbehaving and then, you know, communicating with the parents, sometimes parents don't want to get on your side because their kid is an angel and they don't want to believe that their kid has been acting out or not sharing or not doing their work, not participating, whatever it is. And how do you, how do you reconcile that as a parent? Because I'm thinking now for me, like, I think my kid's an angel, but I also know that she can be the world's biggest brat as a three-year-old. Mm-hmm. So I'm not I'm not going to have any hard time believing a teacher. 
But what if you are a parent and your kid is an angel at home and the teacher sends, you know, a little note in the book saying, you know, your kid, this is like the third day this week that they have just been a terror. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with that when you initially, as a parent, get your back up a little bit? Yeah, from the parent's perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So oftentimes we get our back up because we're defensive about something that probably we know has some merit to it. Right. Right. Okay. We usually, if if we really think that the teacher is the issue, which can happen, sometimes we have a teacher and a child that they just, their personalities don't mesh and it feels like the teacher's out to get the child. Um, but that would be something that would be an ongoing thing. I think you would already know. But I, it's often in the delivery of the teacher. Like it is important to deliver those messages to parents in a really productive way. And sometimes parent, teachers don't do that. And so I, when parents get defensive, I think it's often in the de- way that the message was delivered. And sometimes there's nothing we can do about that. But I, as a parent, always say, my child's not perfect. They're not robotic. They're going to make mistakes. That's okay. If the teacher calls me and says there's an issue, then there's a reason behind it. And how can I help him out of it? So even Beckett, like my firstborn, super, super compliant. Hudson is 12. He's like a little old man. (laughs) If I say, come do the dishwasher. Yep. Sure. Done. He just comes. He's just, he is just, it breaks my heart. He's so, so sweet. Some lady's going to be so happy to have him. (laughs) And then Beckett, my 10 year old was always a little bit harder to train. He was a little bit more feisty. He pushed the limits a little bit more. He has so much spunk and personality. He dances amazing. He's just like this really enthusiastic child. So in grade one, when he had his little tie on and the teacher calls me and says, you know, that Beckett's kind of having a hard time um, at recess with some friends. I wasn't shocked. There are glimpses of your child at home Mm. in some regards when a teacher reaches out to you that you know, like you were saying, there's a possibility. So we worked, I always work with the teacher. If you can get on the teacher's side, even if you're defensive, if a parent can just say, hey, I'm sorry about the note. I I really want to help you make this right what can I do to help? Or what what do you think we should do from here? As soon as you as a parent go on to the teacher's side, even if you don't fully agree, she is going, he or she is going to put their guard down. And now they're going to be like, okay, we're in it together. If you get your back up, I think you're in a a vicious cycle and you're not going to change the teacher. It is what it is. Let's get through it in a positive way. Yeah, no, and I I just want to add to that too. Like even in high school, right before I was on mat leave, so we're working from home. It's pandemic; everything's virtual. But I w- I was bending over backwards for. I feel like I bent over backwards for everybody, but especially when I had the family on my side and I was communicating with the parents and had even if the kid was giving me a really tough time every day, really not doing anything, whatever their behavior was, if the family was working with me. It was Mm -hmm. just – it was easier to happily go that extra mile. You know what I mean? Because at least you're getting – if you're not getting positive feedback from the student, at least you're getting it from the parents or, you know, some idea that somebody does care about what you're doing. So I I think that helps. And the the student, the child, when they know that a parent and teacher are on the same page – it's like moms and dads being on the same page or moms and moms or dads and dads. It's important that – they see the continuity and that we're coming at it from a place of teaching and disciplining and not punishment. And as soon as that happens, then they don't feel that need to push as much because 
we're setting those boundaries, which is what they really want. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and when you say like speak, teaching kindergarten is crazy, <laughs> it is. It, it's like parenting in that if you work really hard and you train up front, and sometimes I say the word train it because like I'm training dogs, I'm not, it's humans. Yeah. But when you, when you work really hard up front, kindergarten is the most amazing year. I mean, I would have 30 kids, 90% non-English speaking, never been to school before drinking the watercolor water on the first day because they didn't know that you couldn't drink it once the paint was in there. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was the, the stories that we had are crazy, but we, you repeat yourself, you start over you start over, you start over, you go slow until they learn that you're going to keep starting over. And once you get to that place, kindergartners, all they want to do is please you all they want to do and all kids really, but they, you can teach them so much. You can have the most enjoyable time. I, I mean, I loved my job while the other kindergarten teachers were screaming down the hall because that's it. You train them. That's it. So same with your kids. Like if we want them to behave when we go out, if we want them to do their homework, if we want them to turn off devices when we ask the first time, if we want them to listen when we ask them to do something and not backtalk, it's all 100% possible Mm -hmm. with the right skills and the setup and the foundations. You can really create whatever kind of classroom, whatever kind of home environment that you want. Mm -hmm. Now, see, Lucy's a crier. In that when she gets frustrated or feels like she's not being seen or heard, she starts crying. And sometimes she'll start – she'll kind of stutter. And then when she can't get – like when she can't communicate and she can't say what she's trying to say, she'll just start crying out of frustration, right? And like it really – it kills me. And I I don't want her to get that frustrated or that upset because like Shane and I give her all day to be able to sit there and finish a sentence or try to express herself. But going into preschool with that kind of anxiety almost, like how can I help ease that? Yeah. So most of the time kids stutter because their brains are working faster than their Mm -hmm. mouths can actually produce the words. And both of mine stuttered a lot and they would go back and forth out of it. Even currently right now, my 10 year old started back up again. He hasn't done it in probably two years. And now all of a sudden he's like, I just want to get my words out. And I'm like, and we, so we really practice like, stop, take a deep breath, think about what you want to say, and then say that first word. So giving her some tools to be able to stop, take a breath and then start again, Mm -hmm. because sometimes they're just so caught up in it. And then they start to stutter, they start to panic. And then they are kind of having a bit of anxiety around it. I would also read books on anxiety, especially if she worries about things in my children's book corner on the link in my Instagram bio, there's a children's book corner. I would get books on anxiety because it's bound to happen. She's going to be anxious about somebody took her toy at at preschool or she forgot something. And those are good conversations to have even ahead of something happening. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's really good because I, I I want her to feel comfortable in those places, right? Because then that's when she acts out too, when she feels like she's not being seen. And, you know, what we've seen when this happens, um, it typically happens if we're on the playground because we have started going back. If there's like, you know, maybe a kid she's trying to play with, it usually happens with kids that are maybe one or two years older there's some mean kids at playgrounds. Oh my gosh. I didn't think it would impact me so much. Like it, Crazy. it makes me so like upset and furious when I see a kid being mean to my kid. It's really hard to deal with. But so she has, you know, tried to go up to play with somebody and a kid is 
on multiple locations, different kids have just looked at her and been like, uh, go away. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to play with you. Leave me alone. Aww. And it's like she's just like a basically a toddler. You know, she's in between a toddler and a kid. Play. Yeah. And uh, then she'll go and she'll maybe take out that frustration for getting rejected on another kid and then maybe snatch a toy or something. So how do you deal with that at school if – I don't think she's going to have any problems at school. She's kind of already met the kids and they had a great rapport. And she kind of had like leadership qualities almost. But for parents who are dealing or and you know, possibly us, who the hell knows? H- how do you deal with that if your kid is being constantly rejected and left out at school? I know. I know. The whole bullying thing is oh, it's so horrendous. It's horrendous. And they and start so young. I know. And so I, as a parent... Um, of course, always fear that as well. But what we want to do is not normalize it, but make it recognizable to them. So I always say to the boys, when somebody is not nice to you, we actually want to feel really sad for that person mm-hmm. because that person is feeling very sad that they want to make you feel bad to help them feel better. And I always used to say, if somebody's not nice, it's really sad for them. Let's let's like feel sorry for them and feel sad for them. Because as soon as you're feeling badly about the person, your their emotions and their direction isn't about them, you know, feeling badly about who they are, mm-hmm. but they're actually thinking, oh gosh, that person's probably sad. And so we would talk about maybe their mommy and daddy aren't that nice to them, or maybe, maybe they don't feel like they have enough time with their mommy or daddy, or maybe they're, you know, having a hard time in something at school. And so then they started to have empathy. And it was a nice way to teach empathy instead of what we want to do, go all mama bear on everybody and just get back at them. But <laughs> if you see the bully at the park next time, you'll have a different perspective and you'll be thinking like that poor child probably, you know, and then you almost feel sorry for them. And so you want to have the conversation, but then you also want to equip them with tools. So what can we do in those moments? We can't control, you know, them just like mommy and daddy can't control you. That's why our parenting tactics are so important. If we're using punishment like timeouts and spanking or yelling, we're actually trying to control our kids. So then when they go out to the park, they think they should control somebody else. So we want to talk about how we can only control ourselves. So if somebody says something not mean, says something mean to you, or they're not friendly with you, or they won't share with you, you actually have all the power. And then they're kind of like, oh, really? And yet you have the power to walk away. You have the power to say that hurts my feelings, or you have the power to go get a grown up to help you. And so then giving them three ways so they can choose something. So when you say, what kind of power do you have? Like she comes to you at the park. If you teach this, then if she he comes to you at the park and says, he's being mean to me, say, well, you have all the power. What, what powers can you use? And then she might say, oh, I'm just going to walk away and play with something else. Great. That was a great power to use. Or um, I'm going to come get you for help. And maybe you'll walk over and you'll say, you know, what? I didn't see what happened, but what's happening. Give both the kids an opportunity to share, see if you can help them problem solve. So we want to equip them, but we also want to teach empathy mm-hmm. and we want to help them learn not to control anybody else, but to control themselves. All right, Tia, we're going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we're supported by. We are supported by Wheelow. Shane, did you know that like so many Canadian school children are consuming three times more sugar on a daily basis than is recommended. I was just going to tell you that. 
Well, there you go. And you know, I've been finding it difficult to find a good daytime snack for Lucy that isn't just like riddled with sugar because everything is. Mm-hmm. And if even if you do find that snack, sometimes children are the ultimate barometer of mm-hmm. whether or not it's actually tasty because I've had really healthy food before. So sometimes <laughs> I'll just down something that doesn't necessarily taste the best knowing I'm still saving on sugar. However, Lou loves these things. I'm telling you the honest to goodness truth here. She likes these bars better than the ones with twice the sugar. Oh, she does. We are so happy to have found Wheelo. So they're school safe snack bars with 50% less sugar than the average granola bar at only three grams of sugar per bar. That's amazing. And th- like Shane said, the taste is kid approved. Lucy's obsessed. And to be quite honest, I'm obsessed too, because not only do they taste great, but the bars are a source of fiber. They contain immunity boosting probiotics. They're non-GMO verified. And they don't contain anything artificial. They're very delicious. It's almost too delicious where I'm, it's like that Seinfeld episode where it's like, <laughs> but yeah, I think they're still being legal here. So yeah. Well, plus Wheelow is a primarily female founded and Canadian company, which is so nice. We love supporting Canadian, but you can find Wheelow in many major retailers. However, if you buy them online, you can use our promo code and get yourself 20% off. So check out ourwelo.com and use the promo code thisfamilytree20. Again, that's ourwelo, wheelo spelt W-E-L-O, and thisfamilytree20. But we are also supported by Mini Miyash, a premium, organic, ethically made and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. Mini Miyash believes in quality over quantity and they make, I'm telling you, the best basics for your littles, like fashionable wardrobe staples that are soft and comfy and timeless and can be passed from kid to kid regardless of gender. Here's another product that Lucy's obsessed with. She wears the dresses to bed and to church if we're going (laughs) to church. No, she loves them. And truly, they are good for anything. Like they look beautiful and they feel beautiful you got to see for yourself right no you do and the best thing is they're organic cotton fabrics they're knit and dyed locally they use gots certified organic cotton and low impact non-toxic dyes plus mini miyash is on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it and they believe that every little bit counts so you can find the company online at minimiyash.com or at minimiyash on instagram and facebook and if you use the promo code this family tree 15 you're gonna get 15% off your order. This is available in Canada and in the US. And again, that is minimiosh.com and this family tree 15. And by the way, I haven't said this in a while, but every product mentioned in this episode or pretty much every product, we've gone out of our mm-hmm. way to ask them to be a part of this podcast. So don't think people are just throwing us a wad of cash and we're accepting anything. Anyway, let's get back to this interview with Tia Slidem. Mm-hmm. See, it's funny because that's how I deal with trolls on the internet and things like that. I feel sorry for them. I think about how rough things must be to come out and be so, you know, inflammatory or mean to somebody they don't know on the internet. Don't even know. Right? Or somebody maybe they know vaguely just from following me. And it's like – It's because they're they're jealous. You're beautiful. You're successful. You have a nice family. Whatever they're they're painting about you is something they don't feel they have. And that's why people are mean. And And, that's. And then the power to walk away, the power to block somebody. And that's honestly something Shane and I were just talking about this. So we just did our episode 100. Like we were with all of our thank you, with all of our, our little episodes, we're like at 150, but officially episode 100. But I'm just right now, you know, kind of finding the power 
to block people, to say, you know what, you've been following me for a couple years, but you are a source of so much negativity. You only come to me when you have something to complain about, whatever, block them and just be done with it. And I never even thought about, yeah, I never even thought about kind of bringing that and looking at that as a power is number one, and then bringing that to my kid. I think that's so genius. And what about if your kid is the bully? Because that, that's another thing. Like, what if really you you don't know what you're doing wrong, how to – you don't know what you're doing to make them feel, you know, not seen, not heard, whatever, and then yeah. they're acting out to other kids? Yeah, I encourage parents who are feeling like whether they're struggling at home with their child being very defiant mm-hmm. or rude, or, or, you know what, it will go out into the world at some point. Like, if we're not dealing with it at home, it will surface but reaching out to a professional from help somebody like myself or somebody else who helps parents with these things, because there is a reason for every behavior. Like those behaviors are communication. Those behaviors are information. So if your child is bullying somebody, we have to step back and look at all the pieces of the puzzle. You know, am I filling their buckets of power and attention? Are they on screens way too much? Are they watching something on screens that I haven't known they're watching? That's actually causing them to become angry or uncomfortable or insecure. You know, have they been socializing with their friends at all? Or have I noticed they're starting to sort of back away from that? Because young tweens, teens, like suicide rates are through the roofs. Parents, kids are bullying is through the roofs. Anybody with a keyboard can bully. It's easy to do now. Before you had to be the big kid that could go up to somebody at school. And now anybody can say something mean anonymously. So we really need to be in tune with our kids. And if they are angry, defiant, or bullying, there's a reason. And that's a cry for help. Like Mm -hmm. we need to do something from our side. And how do you, with your kids who are a little bit older, like what is your approach to screens and social media? Like I know they're still kind of young, mm. but what's your approach to all that? Yeah. So my son who's 12, who just graduated at the lower school, who's going to middle school. That's exciting. He uh, was the only, him and one other boy in all of grade six were the only two without a cell phone. Wow. And I always said to him that it's not that we can't buy it. We can, but it's, it's really a need to have, not a nice to have. We really need to have the phone when we need. It's a big responsibility. They're expensive. You have to make good choices. We have to be able to trust you. And so as you're leading up to those years, saying to your kids those same things often, you know what? I see you did that. And that makes me feel like I can't trust you. And I know you really would like a phone, but we have to build up our confidence because then they're motivated by something and they're working on those skills you want them to work on. So he just got his cell phone without social media. So he can text, he can call. We said no to social media. Mm -hmm. I know I have boys and I know girls are very, and some boys are very into social media as well, but girls are really into like the whole TikTok and the dancing. And I can't tell you what I would do if I had a girl because I'm not living in that situation. Um, I don't ever want my child to feel like they're totally recluse from everybody and they're the only ones who can't fit in, but there's also a limit. So um, we... With outside of COVID, because in COVID, we survived on some extra screens as well. Like we had to survive. Absolutely. And that's how they socialized. And that's how they did all that stuff. But we typically have, 
where they can do um, in the morning, they'll watch a show before breakfast, like a half an hour show, which they're not even that jazzed about TV or screens, luckily. But I think it's boundary setting. If you get them into other things, they're not as jazzed about it. And if you give it to them, if you hold it out, then they're really going to be jazzed. So we do about a half hour in the morning. And then after school, when your homework's done, then you can watch a show or you can, you know, Mm -hmm. do what you're going to do. I used to leave uh, during the school year last year, iPads put away and unless it was the weekend and on the weekend they could have it in their room so that we, they woke up, they would read for 30 minutes. They would do the iPad for anywhere from a half an hour to an hour, their choice, depending on if we had sports. So I like to create some boundaries. So they're not constantly grabbing at things. So phones go in a bucket before you have dinner in the car. I don't think anybody needs to be on their phones in the back seat like this while we could be talking. You do it when your homework is done, then you can use your device. Like if we can set up some boundaries around when to use it, your kids become self-managers by knowing how to set boundaries themselves. If it's a free for all, which as adults, I find that hard to have boundaries. 100%. Uh, it, it's constantly like dinging. Oh, oh, she wants to know about my program. Oh, she wants yeah. to know. And what when you work, it, like it's so tied to everything: well-being, work, relationships, everything. It's it's so yeah. frustrating. I hate it. I it's hate so it. So frustrating, yeah. and it, and it role models to them that we're on it all the time, or that we can be on it because what we have is more important than what you have. And I know my husband will always say to them, "Well, you know, this is how we. This is you know how Daddy makes his money. I'm doing work. So, but at some point, they're doing what's their work." which is socializing with friends and building relationships. That's their job right now. So everybody's doing it for what's important to them. And so as parents, we really do have to find ways to role model it. And I'm guilty of not always being the perfect role model in that department. Mm -hmm. Well, it's hard to be. And, you know, I love that your son was one of the only two without a cell phone in grade six because – and you were saying it's about trust. I do not trust any kid in grade six to know how to use a phone properly. Like there are so many skills and so much self-regulation that comes with that. I do not trust any freaking 12-year-old to know yeah. how to navigate that properly because yeah. – It's a scary all, place. Yeah, and all it takes is a moment of curiosity, of anger, of whatever to go and do something you shouldn't, yeah. you know? and. I, I honestly don't trust any of them, even the best one. I do not trust. And at that age too, like, are you are there child blockers or like anything like that on the phone, or do you just not go through their uh, history and never look at their phone? So you have to know your kids. Mm-hmm. So Hudson is so trustworthy. Mm-hmm. I I mean, I can rely on him for he's like a second husband. He really does. <laughs> I mean. I always say to my husband, if you're not careful, I might trade him in. I mean, he uh-huh. actually listens and he does everything I need him to do right away. I mean, it's like, it's a win-win here. So, but he, he is so trustworthy. Like he, even at my in-laws cottage, he's 12. So he can drive a little boat with a 40 and 40 horsepower engine. Nice. So he gets in his little whaler and he now will go to a friend's by boat, which is scary because he's 12 and he's in a boat and there's other boats. And I don't know what other, other people don't pay attention. They don't yield. And so we've had to have so many conversations, but knowing your kid is what you need to, you need to follow your gut. So I know he's going to say, I made it to Smith's house. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm leaving Smith's house. I'm coming straight home. So he's doing his check-ins from his phone, which shows me that he's being responsible, which helps me believe I can trust him. I don't need to go through his phone every night because I don't have any red flags. 
He's not hiding himself in his room. Mm -hmm. He's not glued to it. He's not on social media. And I trust that he's not sneaking it. But if you have that gut feeling, I recommend like check-ins. So you might want to set some boundaries where you block certain things because you know your child, like my younger one, when we get there, I don't know, it could be a different story. We, yeah. we might have daily check-ins, um, but you just set it up not as a punishment, but as a boundary. When we have the phone, these are the things we're going to do. This is not available until you're, until you're this age, we'll talk about it. And, and then we're going to check in daily just to make sure there's nothing unsafe on there for you. And then you do your check-ins, but set as much as you can in advance because otherwise they think you're out to get them. No, absolutely. That's, you know, when I think of teenagers and just even from dealing with them as a teacher and as a coach, which I've been doing for a long time, Yeah, that's always what it is. It's, it's you know, initially, even if they're going to be on your side in the end, it's they just get so defensive. They get so worried, especially if maybe they've even just towed the line a little bit. It's really hard to communicate with them when they're in that mode. So to to know how to come – like, you know, communicate with them without getting them to that point is like – it's so key. It's hard to do, but once you lock in with that kid, it's so much easier. So much easier. Mm -hmm. And giving some second chances sometimes. Yes. Like, you know, if it's – they're new to their phone. They're new to their independence on that. They might try something. So instead of just saying, that's it, you lost it, that forget it. Try saying, you know what, we talked about that and I can't trust you if that happens again. So I'm going to trust you. I might check it in a day or so, but let's just see how we do. But if it happens again, then we're going to need to whatever your consequence is going to be. But sometimes we just jump the gun and then now we're against our kids and we want to be teammates with them. Yeah. And now the last thing I want to ask you about. So with Lucy, with our three-year-old, she goes to bed. She We, we do the bedtime routine starting at six, right? So she's usually in there. We're walking out of the room maybe 6.30, Yeah. And she is a queen negotiator. Mm-hmm. She is, you know, the queen of saying, oh, but I think I have to go poo-poo one more time. Mm-hmm. And sitting – like forcing poop out, forcing it when she doesn't really need to go and just really trying to prolong that bedtime. Tia, it was scary. So like a couple weeks ago, we were at the cottage and it was like an hour past bedtime. Every three minutes, she's needing to go poo-poo again, right? And then I'm like, what? what is – like, is she actually going? So I look under and I like see something sticking out. Okay, this is gross, by the way. I, like, That's okay. Okay. Tia, I can handle. I can handle. Yeah. <laughs> so something's like sticking out. And I'm like, okay, she's going poo-poo. But it, it wasn't kind of going past yeah. a certain point. So then I turned on my phone flashlight and looked. It was flesh. It was her rectum, like prolapsed. So okay. she was like forcing it to a point where she was pushing out her insides and then she'd stop pushing and it would go back in. So the doctor said, don't worry about it right now unless like it doesn't go back in. But I mean, first of all, like made me want to vomit, made me terrified, made me yeah. so worried. And it's like, how do, how do I, you know, help her relax at bedtime and stop with the negotiations and the trying yeah. to because she doesn't need to go poop. She just doesn't want me to leave the room, you know? Do you do you feel at all at any other point in the day or throughout the week that she's 
having a hard time going poo or she's constipated or she withholds, or do you feel like she goes all the time, super easy and they're always easy to come out without pushing and it's regular. She's regular. She's like, but, but she might be too regular. Like, I I don't know. She takes like three big dumps a day, Tia. It's okay. Okay. Good. But she does save them for nap time and bedtime. She doesn't just go throughout the day. She saves them for nap time and bedtime. She goes pee throughout the day, but. Yeah. So let's, what I would do similarly to the coming home from school chart is you should have a bedtime chart Mm -hmm. that she can be in charge of that helps her feel in control and all the things you need her to do need to be on that chart. So I would have your little, maybe a little nap time, one, two, three chart. And I would include going pee slash poo. And I would include it and I would include it. And then when you do your teaching and your training, it's important to involve her in the process. Maybe she wants it hung on her wall. Maybe she wants it on a clipboard so she can walk around and check it off like she's the boss. Whatever is going to help really fill her power bucket. But if we don't have a visual chart, you are the boss that gets to nag. And if you get to nag, then she gets to negotiate. If you put it on the chart, the chart is the boss. If she doesn't do what you have on the chart, it's her choice, but we're not going back for second chances. So I would teach and train and role model and do the role reversal and all of that on going to the bathroom before bed. And once you give your final kiss, mommy and daddy aren't coming back in. Mm -hmm. So if she pushes the limits, your boundary might be, then you can go potty by yourself. Mm -hmm. If you really have to go after we leave, because we're giving you a chance right now. So those are things you want to talk about. So sometimes kids will push the limit where Beckett would come out and say, I had to go to the bathroom. So I would come and tuck him in again. Mm -hmm. So I got to the point where I said, you know what, this is your final tuck in. So do you need to go to the bathroom at all? Because I'm not coming back in. And if you're fine to go potty and tuck yourself back in, no, no problem. But I'm not coming back up. And then there were a couple of times where he was like, but I want you to tuck me in. And I'm like, I really wish I could, but I can't. I had a final tuck in. And he cried and cried and cried. And then he finally went to bed. And then when you say this is your final tuck in, they're like, oh, it is my final tuck in. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have a chart, if you don't have a routine and we're relying on reminders and nagging and giving second chances or third chances, that's going to work for her. And so she'll continue it. Yeah. Well, like when she was younger, she was on an amazing sleep schedule. She still is. But it's because honestly, I I did let her cry it out to a degree. And she was like that in bed. She was amazing. And even now, honestly, it's good. But the only thing is now with the independence of being mobile and, you know, not going like using a potty instead of a diaper and things like that, it is tougher. And then now for some reason, like I'm just not dealing with the crying and the tears like I was before. It's like making me more responsive. It's doing exactly what she wants. And then I'm going in again and again and again and again until I'm exhausted and wiped and then can't relax the rest of the evening, you know? So I think I just got to deal with that day or two of boundary setting. And then I think we'll be in the clear, I hope. You will. Yeah. You will. And once you, once parents who come and say like, my whole day sucks, like I, it's a grind. I dread it. Everything's awful. Like I almost wish I wasn't a parent and they feel awful for saying mm-hmm. that. Once you start setting boundaries. And I just talked about this on my live yesterday on my Instagram feed that once you start setting boundaries in one area. So for you, if it's bedtime, creating the bedtime chart and routine and, and following through now they build trust. So when you want to fix another area, it's easier and then it's easier and it's easier and it's easier. 
And I'm, I'm telling you, if you're dealing with daily outbursts, daily negotiations, daily walking on eggshells, like it's just like constant, there is a way easier way. Um, and it's just about the setup. Okay. Okay. Tia, you have an answer to everything. And I love it. I love talking to you so much. I feel like I'm going to have to have you back here in like three months after the For first sure. couple months of preschool and then talk through some more things. For but sure. Truly, thank you so much for joining me again. Always a pleasure. And good luck with the new newborn slash puppy for the rest of the I know. week. Yeah, the rest of the newborn days. I'm hoping that the sleeping through the night is a like a continuous thing and not just like a fluke tonight. I'll, I'll be crossing my fingers. <laughs> well, I hope you can co-create a good uh, bedtime routine that really makes him feel the power, you know? Yeah. I'll, I'll give him his doggy chart. No problem. <laughs> Take care. Tia. Right, nice Alex, talking again. Take care. See ya. Bye. So how was it the second time with Tia? The best. So it's like best. Terminator 2. It's better yes. than the original. Godfather yes. 2 is another one. Well, because this time, you know, it's like I know Tia. We're friends. She's like my go-to parenting expert now. And it feels so comfortable. I did look at the Zoom footage and she seemed a little more friendly with just you. Well, yeah. No, because I think we feel like buddies now. She wasn't mean to me, but <laughs> she wasn't, you know. Loving me. <laughs> no, T is great. But uh, it, was, it was the conversation was fantastic and so timely with this being, you know, the first week back to school, whatever. But it was great because then I, I also snuck in a few personal questions there like – you know, How much the, money do you make, Tia? No, like the anecdote about Lucy flipping out in the store with no undies on and everything, humiliating for me, awful experience. And she she really helped me through that. And we've kind of been talking on the side since, and is, she's very helpful. So you know thank, thank you, Tia. Do you know what I find helpful? What? This end segment where you answer <laughs> get that whistle out of there, where you answer listener questions. It's called the mailbag segment. I've never heard any of these questions, but you've not only internalized it and thought about how you'd answer, you've Googled it to get the real answer. Oh, I Googled it. So I Googled what I could. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get started. So the first one is pretty specific uh, to one listener. However, it is so handy, I think, you know, to a multitude of people and, and you'll see why. First question. How do I prepare my three-year-old for having surgery and getting an anesthetic? Also, how do I prepare myself as well? I'm a nervous wreck, and because of COVID, I can't bring my husband with me. So whether you know you have to prepare your kid for a surgery, for a dental appointment, for a needle, and we're all doing that. I mean, our kids are getting needles from the time they're a couple months old. So this is so helpful for all of us. But, but for, three is a special age where you actually have to prepare them. Two months old, you don't really need to prepare a child. No, no, but I think even if they're two, you can prepare them. You yeah, know what I mean? Three, Depending. they're really with it. Three, absolutely. But first off, like with most things in parenting, model the behavior you want to see. So model the right tone. If you as the parent are calm and brave, your kid's going to be calmer and braver. And, you know, it, on the flip side, if you as a parent, you're nervous, you're anxious, maybe you get nervous around hospitals or dentists, whatever, then your kid's going to feel that too and they're going to feed off of your energy. So model how you want your kid to feel, even if you don't feel it inside, really try hard to show that outwardly. Next, learn as much as you can. So one way, you know, especially to keep your own fears and anxieties in check, just arm yourself with as much knowledge as you can. Talk to your doctor in depth, ask them any questions you can think of, do what research you can, and just learn 
as much about your child's condition, the operation, not only so you can feel comfortable when your kid goes into it, so that you can answer questions for them if they, you know, spring them up on you. And then there's less fear of the unknown, both for you and your kid. Next, tell them what's going on. And actually, this article that I read, it's like several hospital websites suggested this. But if your kid is around three years old, they can accept a lot of information, Shane, like you said off the top. Tell them exactly what's going on. Tell them they're going for a surgery. Tell them what they can expect the hospital stay to be like, what it's going to be like when they come home to recover. And if you're having trouble with it, try to find a book that does it for you with, you know, fun pictures or whatever. Just try to make them feel comfortable and like it's nothing out of the ordinary. Then next, I mean, do things simple like bring their favorite blanket, their favorite stuffy, just everything that makes them comfortable, makes them happy. And then, I mean, for yourself, that's obviously tougher because as a parent, you know, I can tell you not to stress over and over again, but it's not really going to have much of an impact on how you actually feel. But try to find support with other parents who have gone through this. Find out what the surgery is. See if there are any, you know, good message boards or forums online with parents that are dealing with the same thing. I know you can't bring your husband in with you, but can you FaceTime him before and during and after the surgery? You know, try to keep that close connection. Also, just have faith. The doctors are capable. Have faith in their capable hands. Nobody else has a chance at helping your kid like the doctors do. So I, I just think really, you know, give it up for them. But Shane, do you have anything to add? No, I do not. <laughs> okay. I'll be honest with you. And the reason I don't is because I'm just innately good at talking to Lou and pre- preparing her for scary things. I don't know why. You are, yeah. You are. But that, I, that's I, a very I can't good teach skill you it, have. But I thought you did a good job at teaching it. And I Thank wish you. I could teach what I do. But I can't. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, next question. What are your thoughts on the Nirvana band's album cover drama? Have you heard anything about this? What's been going on with it? I love Nirvana, the band, the show. But I think (laughs) we're talking about the actual band. Mm -hmm. And is the drama related to the penis? To the the kid or man now whose penis was on the cover of their Nevermind album. What? Is he he embarrassed because he didn't give consent because he was just a baby? Yeah. So... What's going on? The man who was a baby on the cover, if you don't know what this album looks like, it's a naked baby in a pool swimming after a $1 bill on a fishing hook. Baby is naked. You can see his penis. This is called the Barbra Streisand effect, by the way. What? What's that? This is where you're embarrassed of something and you don't want people to see it, by, but merely bringing it up is going to call way more attention to it than it originally would have had had you not said anything. Barbara Streisand did this years ago. Her house was shown on an aerial shot on something Mm -hmm. like the equivalency of Google Maps, but like early 2000 edition. Maybe it was even the 90s. Anyway, it became the most sought after house (laughs) in the world. And it was downloaded like six billion times only because she publicized that she didn't want this oh. revealed and she attempted to sue and do all this when previously it had only like 14 downloads or views. Right. But bringing attention to something like this causes such a media stir. And look at us talking about it on a podcast. It's counterproductive. See, and, and I totally agree with you. However, for this guy, I think it's more about the money than the embarrassment because so he, the, the actual complaint, so the guy's name is, what's his name? I have it written here, Spencer Eldon. So he's 30 now 
And he alleges to the court that he suffered lifelong damages. And he's suing the band for commercial child exploitation. And he said that the band, this quotes, leveraged the shocking nature of his image to promote themselves and their music. So here's the thing. It is, I think, exploitation. This kid is a baby. Their parents, they were paid $200 only. But do you think Smells Like Teen Spirit still would have been a hit without that baby dick? <laughs> Fair question. No, but. I want an answer. Yes, obviously, Shane. Well, that's what they're going to try to determine in the court. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, it, it's this big thing. And no, I don't think. It, tr- switch it up. What I did in my head to make sense of it for me, I was like, well, what if it was a baby girl and her Volvo was on display? And this little girl is being essentially exploited. Would not be okay. They wouldn't have done that in the first place. So why is it okay to do that with a baby boy? That doesn't make sense, right? Uh, However, this guy throughout the years, he has recreated the pool scene. So on the band's 10th, 15th, and 25th anniversaries, he's done the same thing. He has the word nevermind tattooed on his chest. And he has admitted to getting lots of babes for being the Nirvana baby. But then this was also a source of contention. And I was reading excerpts from an interview he did with Australian GQ. So this is from 2016, but this is what he says. He said that he he, he was an artist and he was putting on a show. And he reached out, I'll, I'll quote him for the rest. I was asking if they want to put a piece of art in the effing thing. I was getting referred to their managers and their lawyers. Why am I still on their cover if I'm not that big of a deal to them? So he was PO'd about them not wanting to take part in his art show. And then he also said, everybody thinks that you're making money from it. You'll hook up with a hot chick and then they figure out you're not making any money and they'll dump you. You have these people who think you're cool because you're the Nirvana baby. But it's effing weird, man. It's like that dream where you go to school without your clothes on. So do I think he's in it for the money? Yes, but he actually sounds like was. he's in it for the nookie too, which is a limp biscuit <laughs> song. But he is—he was exploited. He's in it for the money, yes, but he was exploited. His parents got paid two hundred dollars. If he even got a portion of the money that his family was paid, I mean, it's two hundred dollars. So Dave Grohl is so loaded. Dave, pay him money and just it's be a done tough with it. Precedent to set. It, who else is photographing naked babies for? I their don't album think art? Dave Grohl photographed the baby. He didn't, but he was a part of the band. Yeah, but there's whole marketing firms, especially back then. And yeah, they signed off on it, but well, sue them. You know, get the marketing firm. Deal is a deal, though. But but the thing is, the kid could not consent. He was a baby. He was like one. I know, but the kid had legal guardians who did consent, so it's on them. So he, so he should be suing the parents. Yeah, yeah, I guess because I, I don't know that that's a whole discussion. But once you put pen to paper, mm-hmm. it's it's not the people's responsibility. It's the parents who signed off on something like well, that. Well, then I I do think that this guy is entitled to money. And, you know, even um, then maybe he should be suing the parents. But even Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love's daughter, Frances Bean Cobain, she was saying like, oh, yeah, you want money yet you recreate the photo, have never mind tattooed on your chest and things. But people react differently to sexual abuse, exploitation, assault, whatever. Maybe that was just his way of like, coping with it and trying to own it but i i don't think there was anything sexual about a nude baby i don't think there's any like it's just if it was a baby it would be just as exploited as if it was a nude thing isn't it what they're still using if it was a baby Mm -hmm. they'd still be using 
that baby to sell albums. Yeah, but the fact that his penis was out for everybody to see. Oh, okay. I didn't I didn't know that that was that shocking. Yeah. Yeah. Because right? kids were allowed to, I went to public school, kids were allowed to wear that shirt in school. No, they were not. Yes, they were. Anyhow, I get his point of view. I do. I think he is deserve. I think he's deserving of money, even though I think he, I have doubts whether he is traumatized or just wants the money. I don't know. I haven't done enough research, but I do think he is owed money from his parents, from whoever. I think he's owed money. Okay. <laughs> I think just because the record became huge, mm-hmm. it could have been a, if, if that record was a flop and never created any sensationalism, would he be owed money then? No, but there's not still, if it was a flop, then they wouldn't still be reproducing copies. People wouldn't still be wearing it on t-shirts, things like that. And he's not seeing any of that revenue. If so- you're an extra in Seinfeld and you have an all-time classic line mm-hmm. and it becomes 40 years later, people are still saying it like, I don't know, no soup for you, whatever. Yeah, but it's different. It doesn't different. necessarily mean you're entitled to. No, but it's different because, again, he was a baby who didn't consent his guardian. Well, child actors him. are getting... That type of thing too, and maybe I guess you're saying they deserve yeah. more money too. Maybe I don't know. It's it's such a it's such a weird area, and because can any child actor truly consent if they're under the age yeah, of not really. four? No. So it's, like it's when a Michelle weird... said, "You got it, dude." Did she really <laughs> want to say that? She wasn't naked. So it's it's just about nudity. I think a lot of it is about nudity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Case Anyhow. closed. Yep. Next question. My husband doesn't get along with my younger brother because of big cultural differences. We all currently are living together. Will living separately ease the tension? Yes. I don't even know, need to go in detail. Yes, it will ease the tension. Massively. You will repair your relationship. Live separately if you can. Space plus time equals love. Beautiful. All right. What is your breastfeeding plan now that you're back to work? I'm in the same boat and would love ideas. Uh, I didn't really... You know, you can read so many things that are like, oh, start doing these weaning tactics leading up for both babies. I just went to work. I mean, I'm still feeding her maybe twice in the night. I feed her in the morning before I go to work and then I go to work all day. She drinks homogenous milk at home out of a bottle and then I come home. First thing I do when I get back is I breastfeed her and then I continue to feed on demand until I go to work again the next morning. So she eats three meals a day and she drinks 3% milk uh, during the day. And then, you know, when I'm with her, I I feed her on demand. It's like the weekend right now and she can't get enough milk. Like I feel raw and exhausted actually because of it. (laughs) Have you noticed that? How much she's been drinking this weekend? No. Oh, Shane, it's exhausting. Like I am raw. Uh, Anyhow, next question. Do you feel sympathy or pity or anger towards the vaccine hesitant and the anti-vaxxers. I'll start, Shane, while you think about it. But I feel sympathy. I feel pity. And I feel angry. I feel everything. Like, I feel everything. And I've read the theories and, you know, the conspiracy theories and everything like that and the scare tactics. And it does get scary, even as somebody who is so pro-vaccine like myself, I get scared reading some of that stuff. And then, you know, I go to fact check it and whatnot. And then my fears are eased. But it is scary, especially like a lot of the vaccine hesitant people I know, even in this community, it's because maybe they're trying to get pregnant. They are pregnant, whatever. And they don't want their chances of having a family being ruined for them because of something like this. And 
Like, I get that. And that's where I feel the pity. I, I think I feel the anger when, you know, like I know another woman and she is pregnant and she is super anti-vax and she leads all these rallies and things like that. Yet she's doing all this with a cigarette hanging out of her mouth. So it just, it's like, what are you in it for? Because you're clearly not in it for your baby because you're smoking. And like, I don't know, is it for the power of being a symbol of freedom and anti-government to a certain group of people? Like that makes me angry. So it's, I'm all over the place. Yeah, for me, it's just frustrated Mm -hmm. because I don't understand how they're drawing the line here when they seem to be listening to medical professionals in every other capacity of life. They've most of these people, I would say almost 100 percent of them have already had a vaccine in their life. Doctors are saying it's pretty much the same deal. And it feels like these people are just looking for confirmation bias on anything Mm -hmm. that they're like. You could find an article right now that says if you have a coffee in the morning, it could contribute to brain cancer. If you really wanted to look for that, you could find it. Wine is good for you if you look into it. Like yeah. like copious eggs amounts good, of wine. Eggs are bad. <laughs> there, there's everything. But it just feels like they're grasping at straws. And I don't know anything. And I don't claim to know anything, but I've put my brain power when it comes to anything medical or scientific in the hands of medics and scientists, mm-hmm. doctors, what whatever you... Stuff I don't know. I'm, I just believe them. Yeah. And that because I don't have the capability to deduce anything in, in that field. So why are all these people all of a sudden pretending they're smarter than they are? One of my favorite quotes in the history of quotes is from Fubar 2. I think it's Fubar 2 they said. Knowledge of non-knowledge is power. Yeah. So if you can realize how stupid you are in some ways, and we all are we're all stupid in certain ways and we're all super smart in some ways but if you're not a doctor that deals with this stuff if you are not a scientist that deals in disease and viruses and things like that then you're likely stupid in that regard so listen to somebody who is smart in that regard knowledge of non-knowledge is power recognize your own brain limitations isn't that a good line diener said it Diener's a genius. I get compared to Diener often, just in the looks department, especially lately. And I look at it as a compliment. All right. And our final question for the day, what's more important in a relationship, good sex or good communication? I I think it comes down to what kind of person you are and what kind of relationship you have. But ultimately, if we're looking to paint everything in broad strokes, it has to be good communication because good communication can then solve your intimate problems. If you are able to say what your needs are, your desires are, what ticks you off when you're not getting enough of something. I like to settle all those things during sex, actually. Oh, okay. So, so you have the conversation. <laughs> during. Because it can get me kind of hot. <laughs> what? Having a conversation? I think we should get a fireplace. While you're mid-coitus. Yes. Alex wouldn't let me do the actual imitation of me panting. So we'll leave it at that. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We really do appreciate it. We'd appreciate it even more if you gave us a five-star review and comment on that app, that iTunes app that is so coveted by everyone. But until then, thank you so much for listening to This This Family Family Tree Tree Podcast. Podcast. Episode 102.